Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. It is 2023. It is July. Not July. Why did I say July? Help me, guys. <laughs> Let's go. It, it is the July. other month. <laughs> it is the other January <laughs> it is January 7th at the time of recording. I am your host, Brian Vitali. I can't, apparently I've had too many holiday uh, snacks. Uh, joining me today, we've got the full crew back after uh, a well-deserved break. We've got Josh Torres. New year, new home, new life. That's my motto. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have James Glizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? So it has been over a month since we have recorded a regular episode of our TetraCast. A week ago, we have released our end of the year special edition of the TetraCast with our RPG of the year results for 2022. It ended up being something like just shy of seven hours of deliberation for all of our uh, ranking all of the games of the year, giving all, all the category winners, shouting out some of the you know features on the site. It's a lot. And if you haven't listened to that, uh, I strongly encourage that you do so. And it has a lot of people that you don't get to hear of very often on the staff, including Alex. We got Scott in there. We got Jess in there. And uh, a few, uh, all of us basically looking back at an incredibly busy year that was 2022. Um, and that podcast is up on our standard RSS feed. It's up on the podcast services. Hopefully you should have found it uh, just alongside all the regular Cast episodes. But here we are back to uh, back to the grind. Back to- I'll, just, I'll just say very straightforward, normal discussions on that podcast. Everything went smoothly because as mm-hmm. you can see from the seven hour runtime, you know, just Everybody yeah. read on everything. And, uh, you know, it didn't take 90 minutes to um, decide which game had the best writing and storytelling. It only took 80 minutes or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have no idea. No, okay. it's, I, don't, I don't remember what that. The, the timestamps are pretty crazy. And I remember looking. We got that uploaded on YouTube as well. And, of course, when you put the timestamps there, it, like, divides up the, the timeline on the bottom. It's like, what is this huge chunk? Oh, wait, that's the story writing and storytelling award. Always seems yeah, to take have, forever. We, we all made the right decisions. No one, you know, no, there. Everything is hundred percent objectively correct. And if you don't agree, that you're just wrong. That's that's how mm-hmm. it goes. Yeah, yeah. So we're not going to uh, recover or recap all the results here because that's what the uh, the RPG of the Year podcast is for. But so we have the podcast episode for that deliberation. Plus, there are three features up on the site. There's our best of 2022 feature, which is basically the rundown of all the award winners, our our RPG of the year, the top five, top 10, everything all condensed into one. We've got the RPG site staff most anticipated feature. This is a list of, Adam, I believe it's 13 games that we uh, have listed as anticipated for 2023. What that one is, is that we, we tally the site staff and contributors and anything that met a minimum threshold. Uh, I believe it was just anything that got more than one vote um, from a dozen staff members was put onto that list and uh, no order other than the winner, which was Final Fantasy 16. Uh, that hasn't been on the list for like the last three years, but this year we mean it for sure. And then, of course, we have the results of our reader poll, which was a poll that we uh, held on our social media channels throughout the month of December. And we have the results of that, which is our RPG site readers best RPG of 2022 and their most anticipated game of 2023. Uh, so we got those really, three features up on the uh, site. 
I really like when uh, Adam uh, pointed out a few days ago for the most anticipated uh, list uh, for Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. Like, it was on there for like two years and then it was on there again for like two other years or like or, or wasn't on there for two other years like we kept flipping and flopping whether it should be on the list or not for certain years i, I think it was like 2020 it was on there and then like was it t- on 2018 it was there too adam i forgot no i said. i think i think it was uh i i think it was 2020 it was on our list for anticipated for 20 for 2020 then was off the list for 2021 then was on the list again for 2022 and it's off the list or this year, 2023. I guess that's kind of what that marketing cycle will do to you, depending on how good of a showing they had at uh, Grand Blue Festival. If so, because okay. that hasn't that hasn't happened yet, right? Because that's that's this month okay. this year. Uh, it, it got delayed till like the mid midpoint of June. Uh, I mean, midpoint of January. Sorry, what month is it? Oh, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like it. I like it. So I guess I'm sorry. Like, what a J month, I guess. I'm sorry. I stayed up. Uh, was it watching Higurashi with my friends all the way till six a.m. last night? I'm sorry, guys. Higurashi. Uh, uh, Chow is back to uh, back to normalcy here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So if, if they had an early December, if they, mm. nope. If they had an early December uh, showing and had a really rocking trailer, maybe it would have showed up for 2023. But it's not there. Yes, we are aware of it. But I guess when it's been waiting for so long and there's been some things that have been announced more recently maybe there's a little bit of a recency this will surely be the year this time guys surely <laughs> nah <laughs> uh, wow no faith anymore and then the um the last uh features that we have up on the site that's kind of end of year related is that uh josh james and myself put up some personal top 10 lists for our rankings for the year, and they're up on the site just as standard features. Uh, I know for my list, it's basically normally I play like one or two games that aren't RPGs that I like to sneak on the list and put. I remember I put like the Age of Empires Definitive Edition on there once. I put in, uh, I think I put in like one of the recent Wolfenstein games on there once. But this year for my list, it was just all RPGs. It was just like the standard list in a slightly different order, and I felt kind of bad, but I guess that kind of is. Uh, 2022 in a microcosm, just it would not stop releasing RPGs. And unfortunately, or fortunately, 2023 looks kind of the same way. We've got One Piece Odyssey releasing in like a week, then Fire Emblem Engage releasing like 10 days after that. And it's not going to slow down in February with all the other games that are releasing. So, uh, no, no rest for the weekend. February has too many fucking games. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like, my my list isn't like, too surprising either i guess like i, I guess uh, i guess the most surprising uh, thing that, uh, on there is like marvel's midnight suns made the list uh, mm. on mine because like i was like i really enjoyed that game but other than that i mean it's everything i've you know i've talked about me uh, a lot uh, on this podcast i think the only the only one that i haven't really talked about as much on the podcast is like vampire survivors but that's a game that's like i like firing it up like every so often i kept just coming back and back and i still fire it up just to have some, you know, a good time. But you know, it's uh, it, it was a pretty easy list to make in terms of like what game should be on there. I think the the trickier part is like, what where should go where, especially at like the last like the top five. It's like I had to really start thinking about like what did I really 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 enjoy. But other than that, you know, it's not not a big surprise for me. Did Star Ocean make it? No, uh, unfortunately, it was I know I had to really think about me. that. <laughs> I didn't even get the honorable mentions. I just barely missed honorable mentions too. So mm-hmm. Dealfield made honorable mentions. That's right. You know, we got uh, the yeah. DLC. 
Yeah, it's like March or something, right? The Waltikman thing. I'm also sort of fine Dio Field moment. I know. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to say, just for people who are too lazy to go to our website and read it, or our Twitter. So for the polls for the readers, because I think a lot of people are interested in like, mm-hmm. what does the community think? Yeah, I don't care what we think. Um, that's a joke. But um, the winner <laughs> for the game of the year or RPG of the year 2022 from the readers was Xenoblade Chronicles 3. If I remember correctly, it got 38% of the vote, and it uh, was the highest percentage of any singular vote year for the readers. Like, basically, Xenoblade got more votes in its year by percentage than any other game in any other year. And it also had, like, the highest, like, winning margin by percentage over the number two, which in this year was Elden Ring. So, mm-hmm. like, Xenoblade 3 was a hit. Yeah, our uh, community our, really liked it. Big surprise, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> even be, like I think I think the next biggest one was several years ago, Persona Five over Near Automata. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Xenoblade Three was basically the the biggest winning percentage and the biggest like overall percentage of the for the reader vote. And for most anticipated, it was also a runaway, although not to the same extent. But it was Final Fantasy Sixteen. That I believe that's been on the most anticipated vote three years in a row and three years ago it was number two two years ago it was number two this year it's number one so our release release date bump final fantasy 16 for for a while so and we've had it uh we've had it on the list three years as well for our staff and i guess because we have we kind of pick from the same pool but it was it was wishful thinking and then it was maybe comes out in 2022 and now it's like all right we got a release date and this was the first year it actually won our staff most anticipated and it's kind of the first time in a while that it's been like kind of the expected because last year it was like for 2022 it was triangle strategy and the year before that i think it was a tie between monster hunter and bravely default too so this is the first time that it's like the marquee jrpg gets the most anticipated vote and it's still Final Fantasy, despite the, you know the struggles in thirteen and fifteen for single player Final Fantasy games. But I guess it's had a really good showing. It's had uh, you know a lot of good talent behind it, and has had you know not has avoided the pitfalls at least in the development cycle so far, as far as we can tell, that have plagued that company in the past few years. So not too long of, of a wait until we get our hands on that. And it's probably the biggest title for our site just in general. So I assume that Alex is going to be hitting that one hard when it comes out. Uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on the release date. It's I think it's on this podcast document. It's, as like a news it's, it's June, like, June 22nd. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember yeah. Alex was actually saying like, oh, no, it's in June. And he's actually considering, do I want to go to E3 or do I want to stay <laughs> home and play this? Because, you know, he'll we'll get early <laughs> code. Right. So it'll be funny if Final Fantasy 16 is available like for reviewers during E3 because there's going to be some people there who are like have played it or are playing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's not out yet. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't consider that. Hmm. They load up their PS5. I mean, there might be a demo before room. that point. There might be a demo before that point. I would love a demo for that game. Oh, God, I wish. It's fun. Or well, Square Enix has had a ton of demos. Yeah, and they've been uh, they've been hitting those hard re- recently, and a lot of carryover progress features and things like that. Um, and so a couple other shout outs that I'll go ahead and put here, uh, just because trying to clear up. Obviously, we didn't podcast pretty much throughout the entire month of December, which was kind of necessary. Obviously, the back half of December, we give 
you know, people are going home for holidays. Uh, we're, we're taking some time to obviously spend a whole Saturday recording up the Game of the Year podcast and writing up those features and obviously just giving ourselves a bit of a break. But we did get four reviews up in the month of December, in addition to the Marvel's Midnight Sun review, which I think landed very early in the month. Um, James put up a review for Monochrome Mobius, Rights and Wrongs Forgotten. Uh, Paige put up a review for Dragon Quest Treasures. That was probably one of the bigger December releases, which again will be kind of eligible for any sorts of accolades for our site in this upcoming year. We have the Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion review. That also obviously was a big December release uh, early in the month that will be eligible for our remake remaster accolades in this coming year and a game that I want to kind of knock the rust off and remember exactly what all happens in that game, especially if it becomes critical for their final fantasy seven remake series. And then finally we have the front mission first remake uh, review. I think this one went up like a day after our last podcast on December 5th or so. So this one's been on the site for a while now, but I just want to make sure that uh, Quinton wrote that up for us, and I want to make sure we give it a shout-out here. So the back half of the year had a lot of different releases, uh, obviously with some of the remasters and the, the new games with Dragon Quest Treasures and Monochromobius as well. I want to make sure I at least give those uh, give those titles and those features some their due diligence since we haven't had a chance to call those out on the podcast. And then uh, finally, here's a pretty important feature and a big feature that we got up on the site and something that basically Josh willed into existence. Uh, and that is a really cool, really special interview that we were able to put with uh, the developer of Astalibra Revision, which is kind of like one of the indie darlings of 2022 and ranked in our top five for RPGs of the year for 2020 uh, for the year. Um, so, Josh, I just want to give you a chance here to talk about your experience writing up this uh, interview with, is it Keizo? Keizo? Yeah, Keizo, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, the, 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 it's like, you know, when people talk about Asta Libre Revision, it's like, it's kind of primarily a, a one person solo project throughout four, thir 14 or 15 years of, of development history. So it's been around for a while, uh, you know, primarily developed by Keizo. Um, writing up this interview, like, it was so, it was so weird. It was like, it was really surreal, like, getting this opportunity to, uh, interview him because the publisher whisper games kind of just reached out to me on twitter because i was like hey i'm like really enjoy i just tweeted out i'm really enjoying Asleep revision like i reached this chapter i've been really enjoying it i can see why people like it and then the publisher of whisper uh whisper games reached out to me it's like uh i think they emailed me it's like hey you want to like uh you know uh do do something like collaborate or something I'm like I'm like i don't want to really do like a sponsored post or anything i was like instead i wanted to you know kind of think about the development history of this game kind of like the design philosophies because i think a lot of people would like to hear you know how this game like became what it is uh over time so i asked him is it okay if like i can you get me in contact with keizo and like can i interview him and they're like yeah sure like you know do you need like a translator or do you want us to you know send us english questions and we'll translate for you and i was like no we have our own so i i collaborated with kite closely on this he's been a champ i know i know kite has been having some health issues so i was like kite it's okay if you like wanted to like slow down or like you know obviously your health first it's like i'm okay like i'm, I'm working on it but i'm like feeling comfortable i'm like all right you know like take your time you know so we really work closely on I'll, I'll get your questions and then kite uh over time uh, translated it to japanese we sent it over to keizo keizo sent us uh his responses back in japanese and he went to go translate it back to english and we're like constructing it you know piece by piece together it was such a really 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 cool experience and i think 
one of the coolest things about this interview that we don't really do on the site is we were able to provide both the full English transcript and the full Japanese transcript of this interview. So like this interview actually like started circulating around uh, Japanese Twitter for a, a good while because you know there's like there, we actually got to break like new information about Asta Libra before it they sent out an official press release. Like we were able to you know announce first that like it's coming to switch it's sometime in 2023 and that Keizo is also working on DLC for the game and like we're just so supremely extremely thankful to Keizo and Whisper Games for giving us this opportunity to like you know not only just like have this experience um getting to the mind of Keizo and like his approach to game development like you know over two decades ago but also just like giving like you know our Japanese readers and our Japanese audience you know like that sort of like direct um, interface uh, with that interview as well with the whole Japanese transcript and all that sort of stuff. So it was such a really cool experience. I think it's one of the the funnest things I've ever done on this site, uh, features wise. I think it was so so cool. Yeah, and we like you said, it's so kind of surreal, but also really exciting to look at that and see that we have the, the dual language article up. And obviously, I do not speak Japanese, but I saw some Japanese quote tweets of our social shares of that saying like, hey, this interview's in uh, in Japanese uh, on RPG site on this on this Western article on this Western website. So kind of cool that we're able to kind of uh in lieu of a sponsored post, do something that's a little bit more meaningful. And obviously, it, it is kind of neat to say, like, we broke the news of the of the Switch version in development. But just being able to talk to the developer, especially something that has been clearly a passion yeah. project for them, and share that with the world and just be a little it's, bit of a really megaphone funny. for them. Yeah, it's really funny because, like, the the, the, like the main reason this game, deve- uh, game you know, got developed is because Keizo was like, you know what? I really miss like those old like you know Falcom style like hack and slash RPGs. Kind of like no one's really making these kinds of games these days. Like I'm just gonna go make my own. I'm gonna learn game development and just make my own and like make it the way that I want to and make it feel satisfying for me. And like that's that's crazy. You know, you just you're just working from the ground up. <laughs> Education. He, yeah, he basically took the Thanos me. I'll do it myself. <laughs> like, yeah. Literally. That's so it's so funny, but that's uh, uh, that's awesome. I'm really looking forward to seeing you know how the how the switch version uh, shapes up, how what the new DLC is like, and um, and they're all, they're also um, giving it a full like whole uh, English uh, like uh, another editing pass on the English translation and like you know tightening that up and making it uh, better on that front as well. So and that's you know, really been the only nitpick for the game that I've seen. I've not played it yet, and I believe Adam's like halfway through it. Or mm-hmm. did you finish Adam? I forget. I'm like chapter. I've actually it's been a while since the break, but it's, I'm like chapter five or six, so it's, that's I think halfway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, the only nitpick that I've heard of the game is like this game's amazing. The translation's rough, but everything else is fine. But so if they do an editing pass, like that's really the one thing that I've seen people caveat in any way for this game. So kind of cool yeah. that they're going to be addressing that. Pretty cool. Well, it's more than an editing pass. I I'm in another server, and uh, actually, there's a couple of like um people in games localization for like smaller titles and uh actually the editor for muramasa mentioned that one of his buddies was brought on to do the translation like a retranslation okay awesome yeah if if it's like a whole like just from the ground up retranslation then yeah yeah because it's like because like the thing when you read a stilted translation it's like it's not just enough to re-edit because it's like Mm -hmm. 
you need to see what you, you need to look at what the original Japanese said and like make sure that it's accurate in the first place. Okay, so, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know the full scope of like what was going on. I thought it was just another editing process, but yeah, if that, that's what's happening, then like even better, you know. I think that, that the game deserves the best, you know. So, so just yes. that making it, making it, make it, making it like be the best possible version before it releases on Switch, because I think, I think this game will sell like hotcakes on Switch. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll be, com- yeah, I'll be completely honest, like. The moment I I uh, saw them say, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be a retranslation," is when I was like, "Okay, I'll I'll wait for that before I play it." Yeah, yeah, for sure. Some people actually liked the, the current translation. <laughs> it, be like it, 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 charming in its own way because it is very early '90s era style of like localization. Like there's like more like you know there, there's a hardware limitation. There's like only like more simpler sentences on dialogue that you like cram into those dialogue boxes. So it kind of has like exudes that aura and energy in, in some aspect. I don't know. Like they're just trying to make it sound like it's intentional, the <laughs> retro translation. But now it's like, what? We'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, like there's definitely, there's definitely um, ways you can like, you know, still keep that uh, style without, you know, keeping the charm of it as well. It, it's, it's like kind of like, um, what I wish for, like when, when I read *Witch on the Holy Night*, the visual novel type that came uh, got re-released in December, like that game really needed another editing pass because there was like a, a like, there's like a moment in it where like they misspelled things as thongs in it. I'm like, this is hilarious, <laughs> but holy crap, this needed more time to get uh, edited uh, for the English script. Is that is that being addressed at all? Or? I have no idea, to be honest. They've been kind of, I, I haven't really been keeping up on like if they've been radio silent on that or if they're gonna patch it. I have no idea. But like, I still really like that visual novel, but the the, the English script is kind of rough at parts for sure. Man, this is why you don't use free shipping. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna come out later this month in physical, right? Oh, I ordered the Japanese physical. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, it's like it's still out here. It's like rip. Yeah, but yeah, that's my that's my inter- interview with Keizo. At the uh, you know, it's up on the site. You can just go find it, uh, search for it. It was like on the header for like, a few weeks because you know the, things were slow. But I, I, I'm just I'm just glad that like you know people liked it and uh, enjoyed it. And it was like this is such a unique experience for Kite and I, and we both really really enjoyed, you know doing that kind of stuff and I, and I hope to do more more of that kind of stuff in the you know uh, in the future hopefully because I think that's that was such a special thing well I think that kind of covers it for everything we wanted to wrap up from end of 2022 discussions features obviously we're still working our way through some games that have released in those time in that time period for instance over the break I played primarily uh two titles uh, Harvestella, which came out in November, and then Chained Echoes, which has been a game getting a lot of good word of mouth in December. Uh, but we are going to open up with probably the first major release. Sorry, One Piece Odyssey uh, in in January. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about One Piece later. Uh, and that is, of course, Fire Emblem Engage. So this is a game that obviously we are only a few weeks away from uh, from playing. It did make our most anticipated list. And we have had a few people on site being able to play it. And on this podcast here, I'm going to hand uh, the microphone proverbially over to Adam, who has been looking at the game over <laughs> over the break. And in, I think we have, is Scott going to be writing a preview for this as well for the site? I think so. All right. So we'll have a written yeah, so, uh, preview. Let me, let me kind of, from... this is just kind of a fun, uh, I don't know, anecdote. All right, go ahead. So we got code for this in early to mid-December. So reviewers have had this game for a while now. 
um, which isn't too uncommon for like January games. But um, I was considering writing a review. It kind of would depend on like if I felt like I had much to say or whatnot. But then like on the on my way back to uh, my home in Boise during my flight, like I've had a flight delays and flight cancellations, and I ended up stuck in the in the airport for like forty eight hours. <laughs> And so I just, even if I wanted to write a preview, I wasn't going to have any time to um, before, like, the preview embargo. But Scott had also been playing it, so he, I think he was going to put something together real quick just to have so he could do something for it. But it's kind of funny. I'm in the airport. Here I am on my Switch playing Fire Emblem Engage. Like, I hope no one knows what this is. I did that um, with um, Octopath Traveler 1. Um, yeah. I, I went to, I, there's like, it was like the, the review code came out around like the Anime Expo time that year. And I was like, well, I, I want to go to Anime Expo, but I also have to work on this review. So I just brought it there to Anime Expo and played it. I'm like, hopefully no one knows what the fuck I'm playing. Yeah. <laughs> like an Anime Expo. <laughs> I feel Anyways, you. So, in talking about this game right now, there's actually a lot I can't say. The the preview embargo, preview embargoes are pretty typically quite limiting, especially for Nintendo games. So there's a lot that I really can't talk about. And even if I wanted to, you probably don't want to hear me talk about like story and stuff yet, right? You know, spoilers and whatnot. But um. Uh, I've been seeing some of the other previews and stuff that have been going up from other sites, and I feel like this is just the, the what I kind of gather is some people are a little bit confused about like what is this game like and how does it compare to other games. And again, I can't really like fully explain that until you know a review embargo, um, and like I can, then some of those embargo restrictions are lifted a bit. But one thing that I've seen a lot of people say, like as sort of like a summary of like, oh, here's what the previews say, is that there is less social stuff. And that's not really true. I mean, in a way, it's sort of true, but I think people are kind of like misunderstanding or misinterpreting what they mean. So anyways, Fire Emblem Engage. Let me just start from the top. So this game kind of feels like like an anniversary title, like a celebratory Fire Emblem series title, even though I believe Fire Emblem's like 30th anniversary was a couple years ago, and it's not quite the 35th yet. Um, so it's not really an anniversary title, but um, uh, obviously you have the emblems, and these emblems are the main like core gimmick, if you will, of this game. And I don't mean gimmick in any derogatory way, just it's the gimmick of the game are these emblems. So emblems are, there's 12 of them, and they're characters from past games. If you've been following along with the pre-release information, you kind of know who they are. There's like one from each major game. There's, you know... Marth, Roy, Celica, Ike, Micaiah, and so on. And as you progress through the game, you will basically gain these emblems, and they are basically an equipment, a ring, that you can put on any character. And so when you put this on a character, what that means is that character gains, they gain a couple of things. They gain a couple of new weapons that don't, they don't really work like, like typical weapons. They gain a couple of new weapons that are like unique to that emblem character, for example, if you put Marth onto Alir, who's the main character of this game, he will gain access to a rapier. And if you've played Fire Emblem, you know that rapiers are basically like swords that are good against horseback. And so on and so forth. Every emblem character has these weapons that they put on, that they allow your character to use. You also gain a couple of new passive abilities. Um, race and Fire Emblem games, every character has their own little passive ability, and there's others that you can get um, based on their class. But emblems also add a passive ability. For example, Ike's is called, I think it's called the Goose Fiend. 
Laguz's uh, creatures in his game. And that makes it so whoever is engaged with Ike, their avoid, their avoid stat goes to zero, but their defense is raised by 50%, I believe. So what I'm getting at here is that the emblems kind of will kind of take, take your character and sort of modify them in ways. And since any character can equip any emblem, there's a lot of, you know, combinations in play. And I think this, the reason why I started with this is I think this is kind of like when all is said and done, kind of the core of this game that sets it apart from previous titles is very different. Uh, when you're engaged with a, with a, with an emblem, is there like a time limit or a turn limit on that? Or yeah. is that, okay. Yeah, so you when you engage, I believe the default time is three turns. But then as you as you are engaged with an emblem, you actually, there is a bond rank with that emblem. I hope I can say that. <laughs> this, the embargo restrictions are very weird. They're the, even the, saying... The, the Nintendo Japan uh, Twitter, the, the Nintendo Japan Twitter says that there's a bond rank. Yeah, that, that's the thing. There's a lot of things that the Nintendo Japan Twitter have said that we're not allowed to say. It's very weird. But um, uh, so as you rank up your bond, the weapons that you get increase the 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 amount of time you can say engaged lengthens. Like for example, with Ike, when you first engage with Ike, and let's just say you have a bond level of one. The axe that you get is hammer, and if you play Fire Emblem, you know hammer is okay. an axe good against armored enemies. Right. But if you reach a higher rank, I forget exactly which rank, you eventually get access to Irvan, which is Ike's oh. axe. So Ike's <laughs> axe is a very strong axe. And then if you reach, I believe, rank 15 with Ike, you get Ragnall, which Ragnall is basically like the sword in in uh, the Tellius games. So you get higher strength weapons your passives that you get are improved for example some of marth's passives marth is really good at evasion you get like i think if you're max rank with with marth if i remember correctly you get like avoid plus 30 which is really good i mean it's like 30 percent more chance to dodge basically if you're like a fire emblem nerd like from like from since the beginning like you'll get a lot of like these like nice yeah. neat, like references that like they're doing with the, with these nikaya is really really good at healing she's kind of like the healer emblem mm -hmm. so i put makaya on a character who's a healer and what that basically allows them to do is they can now use a heal staff from range so like a, almost like a physics staff only heals are much cheaper than physics and it gives their healing like an area of effect like, Dang, a, like a cross. Yeah, so, yeah um so like if you you can now if you're engaged if your healer is engaged with makaya they can now heal like five units at once from a distance like that's pretty darn good um so I think when all is said and done, this is the part of the game that is kind of like make or break in terms of gameplay. It's hard, I, I can't really sit here and say like, yes, this is absolutely better than it was before or worse than it was before. Is it better than like other mechanics? Like, I don't know, pair up or battalions or whatnot. I don't know. But it seems it, so different that like, it's it's different. Hard to like to, yeah, it's hard to, like, to compare apples to tomatoes. It's like, it's so... Yeah, it, 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 that's what gives this game its like unique feel. Okay. Now... In terms of like the game structure outside of combat, how it generally works is this, and this is sort of similar to Three Houses. You have a home base, it's called the Somnial. It's a floating island in the sky. It's kind of where you hang out. And it, the story reason for it's there is there really isn't one. There's just a floating island in the sky you can go to. And in between each battle, you can go back to this place. And as you progress in the game, like the, the, the facilities that are available at this base kind of expand. You get a shop, you get an armorer, uh, you get a boutique, which is new, where you can actually change like the casual clothes of your characters. Uh, you get like a, a blacksmith. Um, there is the arena. I think I can say that. I hope I can say that. Um, you can only do a couple of battles in between each turn to like skirmish 
your to uh, spar against your friends. It's sort of like the tournaments in Three Houses, and you can fish, you can do tarot readings, you can do. There's a lot of things you, you can do, do. Everything basically. <laughs> so, what sets it apart from Three Houses is that a lot of the stuff is optional. You don't really have to do it. I know one thing that people have kind of poked fun at is this sort of ring polishing mechanic where you right. literally like take your cursor and you, you know, swing it back and forth on a ring to polish it. And like, what's the point of this? Well, to be honest, there actually really isn't one. The, what you actually effectively get for doing that is a very, very small bond up. So like, for example, if you have a Lear polish Marth's ring, your bond with Marth will go up very slightly. It's almost so slight that it's just not worth it, like going to that place, going to the menu and doing it. Um, and that's kind of true for a lot of the different things you can do at your base. You'll kind of learn as you kind of get into the routine that it's just like, man, this is just not worth like doing. You can do it in between every battle, but it's just kind of a waste you, of time. You, you know what I think? Uh, like when I think about like game design decisions like this, I think it's like it's the it's like made for like to share on social media. Like you mm -hmm. made this so you can share this like footage on social media, and that's it. That's uh, that's kind of like the thing that kind of like bugs me about like some games these days like they're like they'll tack on like these things on it and you like there's like a certain thing about it that like irks me because like i feel like they just added this so like people could talk like just share this on social media but it doesn't really add anything to like the base game itself you know yeah like in pre-release context or coverage of this game and you say like there's this there's also this sort of gotcha system with mm. with these other like minor rings that give you small stat ups it's, it kind of makes a splashy tweet or whatever where it's just like, hey, there's a gotcha system. But like in practicality, I have barely used it. It's like almost pointless, especially so later in the game. This sh this shouldn't be a spoiler. You get 12 emblem rings. You have all of them. And for the most part, 12 is about as many characters as you can bring into any one battle. I think there's a few you might be able to bring 14. And then, like, once you have the emblem rings, you'd much rather put those on your playable characters and, and these minor setups. So, like, these little minor rings that you, like, gotcha for, they're not really worth it in the end. Yeah, it it's, it's also feels like that's, like, it's also just carry, catering to, like, hey, if you played Fire Emblem Heroes, we got you, because we know you like pulling gotchas, so. Yeah. And, yeah. So there's this sort of, uh, there's, this, there's this sort of uh, kitchen sink approach to what you can do on your base. I've, I've labeled some of these before. You can fish, you can cook, you can train in the arena, you can adopt animals, you can sort of, sort of like, garden with them. Uh, you can do tarot readings. You can do this dragon, Pandra Dragoon-like mini-game. You can uh, train. I already said the arena. You can do the ring polishing. You can do the ring gotcha. Uh, you can do these uh, trials that I know have been mentioned. Um, and it's just, there's a lot. So when people say there's less social stuff, it's like, well, not really. It's all there. But the thing is, is that like in three houses, in between each battle, you had to do the lectures. Um, and you had to do like the, if you remember correctly, like each character had like a motivation level and you could like train them and their stats and whatnot. I think all in all, the three houses, like lecturing and combat, I think there's a pretty good synergy there, but that did mean that you couldn't ignore the lecturing and the training. You had to do it. Um, uh, where in this case, the stuff you can do in the Somnial is much more optional. Like, once you get into the routine of things, you you might decide, like, well, there's no point to fishing. There's no point to doing the the ring stuff. There, there's no point in doing the tarot reading or the dragon mini game or, or whatever. Um, you can just kind of, like, do, like, a couple of small things. Maybe do the skirmish in the arena and then go back to your next mission or next skirmish or next uh, battle or whatever. 
So I think for people who maybe who play three houses and are just like, I could do without the lecturing stuff, then you might be happy because that's not there anymore. Um, which I think is fair. I think that was kind of that game's kind of design and, you know, how it was put together and it didn't need to be in any future game. Yeah, when you speak when you speak about it like the like, like this, like it reminds me of my time with Marvel's Midnight Suns, where there's, there's like just like right, a forty exactly. percent of the game where like you can just like completely ignore it, like exploring that island, that sanctuary, because a lot of it is just like like getting more like currency to de- decorate like your sanctuary or like doing like these trials to get like a new outfit for your character or your allies and so forth. But like, you, but you don't really need to do that at all. Like all I did was like, okay, this shit is whack, so I'm just gonna go actually play the game and make progress because i enjoy the gameplay so like mm-hmm. if, if when you put it like this with like a lot of his optional i'm like okay if i if this game allows you to just like focus on the gameplay and like i don't i'm not really missing out on like doing like these stupid mini games for whatever then like that might actually speak to me better than three houses if i can just like ignore that stuff mm-hmm, exactly um another thing that i've seen people kind of talk about is story and characters now i don't want to like spoil anything and there's a lot you can't say anyway um, it seems like a lot of previews say like the story is weaker or thinner. And I agree with that. Um, for the most part, the game is definitely more focused on like almost, it's almost like the fan service of the series. Like, Hey, here's Sigurd. You remember Sigurd, right? Well, actually probably no. Cause it was never, really English. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's much more of a focus on like almost like the celebratory nature of it. And it does kind of feel that. So one thing I really, really, really appreciated about Three Houses, as well as like the Tellius games back, you know, in the day, was those games were pretty concerned with the world that they were built in. And they did a lot of effort in terms of world building, character building, characters come from different places, from different nations, from different stations. And, you know, I think it did a, Three Houses at least did a pretty respectable job in building the world it was in and the characters that lived in it. This game, I'm just going to say that it's much less concerned with that. It's much more straightforward. It's much more just like, yeah, there are kingdoms and there are people from the kingdoms, but they're not really much more than just like, you know, baseline, shallow, like this is this, and you just kind of move on from there. Um, it's, hard to me, it's hard for me to even talk about it because it is so, it is thin. Okay. So it's a very straightforward game in that sense. Um, and so if you really liked Three Houses because of the, like, world and the characters, like, as believable characters in that world, this game is a little bit more, uh, I, guess, I guess, I keep saying thin, but I think that is the best word to use, thin on that front. It's a bit more straightforward, a bit more streamlined in that sense. Um, also, um, one thing I've seen people mention about previews is that there is no romance. I will say that, like, uh, you know... A lot of people in the in the current day, they really got into Fire Emblem with Fire Emblem Awakening. And Fire Emblem Awakening was, in my opinion, when I when I think about Fire Emblem Awakening, it was almost like a matchmaker simulator where the whole, like, one of the big appeals to the game was kind of, you know, you can put your fan fiction hat on and say, like, who are my, who are my ships? Who am I going to pair with who? Yeah, because they'll have unique and, dialogue with each other when, like, you know, yeah. you pair them together. It's like, okay. And it's like, you, you can kind of think of it this, you can kind of think of this from, like, a fan fiction angle or even from a mechanics angle. Like, fan fiction angle is just like, I like this guy with this girl and I'm going to pair him up. Or the mechanics angle is like, well, if it's this person or this person, they're going to have this class and, a bit, and this, these abilities. It's almost like eugenics. Um, <laughs> kind of creepy. Uh, You're not but, wrong. Uh, um, so the supports in this game are also, there's not a lot of romance. There's, there are a lot of supports, 
but the batting average mostly uh, leans toward just like highlighting each character's gimmick. It is really focused on the gimmicks of the characters, which in Fire Emblem games, a lot of them characters have like a quirk or a gimmick to their character that may not be like believable as like a real human being, but you know, it's just kind of fun and amusing maybe. But this game does lean heavy into that, like really heavy into that. I don't know how many times I can listen to Celine talk about tea, for instance, or Diamond talks about training every single time. It honestly does get a little bit old, but the supports in this game, they're lighter on like the character building and they're much lighter on the romance. Um, it's really heavily focused on the gimmicks of the characters, which on a surface level can be amusing, but just kind of be aware that that's what it is. It's, it sounds but, like more and more to me, like this game is just like, you can, you can just like, like mash X to everything except the gameplay. If you only care about <laughs> gameplay, then like you're heavily rewarded it, with this it game. Does, it does kind of feel like almost you should approach it as you would like Birthright or Fire Emblem Fates Conquest, mm. where Conquest had some really great gameplay and really great maps, yeah. but the story and characters are... <laughs> Dog shit. What does Chow think of these? I know he has pretty heavy opinion on these, but uh, uh, yeah, it's it. It's probably not. It's probably not that bad, but it's just like it's not really the main draw to me. Uh, I don't know if you could talk about this, but like just a general sense of like map design in this game. I don't know if you could give an opinion on that. It feels pretty similar to Three Houses to me. There are a lot of maps where you can like. Uh, I hope this makes sense. There are a lot of maps that are open enough where almost like the best strategy is to turtle your group, your 10 units together, and then just kind of like blob around the map and uh, wipe them out. There are a handful that are a little bit, you know, more like here's a bridge here. So you can put like a tanky unit on the bridge and have your other units uh, pelt them from behind your tank and whatnot. But Three Houses had a couple of those too. Um, I don't think... In in my opinion, it doesn't seem like substantially better, substantially worse. You know, obviously there are some open maps and some cl- more closed maps, but it uh, it's probably not as good as not as good as Conquest, which I think had some really great objectives. Yeah. There aren't very many maps that have objectives other than just defeat all the enemies. There aren't a lot of like escape maps. There's at least one. I'll spoil okay. that. There's one map okay. where your objective is just to escape. Um, but uh, it it feels like to me it's about on the same level. Oh, okay. Um, Um, I will say that for those who are worried that there is no romance, there is, there is some, but it's just not to the same extent as like awakening or even three houses. So it's there. It's just definitely not a focus this time. It's not like a sex mini game, like everything else. How's a mini game? I'm not allowed to say. Okay. I'm joking. (laughs) Um, Is there anything else about like the game that people who haven't played it are like confused about? Cause I, I have seen a lot of people just kind of, really curious just like what is this game like because i guess some people have had like troubles sort of just trying to understand like with all the marketing like what exactly do you do in this game because they focus so much on those little somnial mini games is there anything about the game that you guys are still just kind of wondering like i guess uh, my main question about? is about reclassing because i am oh, i'm right. a fossil i really like when you have a limited like Sorry, speaking English. I really like when you have a limited option of like, you can't just make everyone Myrmidons or everyone Swordmasters. I kind of like having a, a kind of a, an array of you have these many generals and these many Pegasus Knights and this many mages, and you might have a little bit of say or a few branches, but I kind of just didn't like in Three Houses. It's like anyone can be anything. Sure, certain people are better than things than other, but just go to the list and just pick one. I don't know if you can say like how much freedom you have in Engage in terms of just reclassing. 
This is one of those things I'm actually not 100% sure what I'm allowed to say or not. You can reclass. So, to the right. Japanese Fire Emblem Twitter, like there is yeah. a, a form of reclassing. Okay, in this I'll just say it. I mean, <laughs> is Nintendo listening to this? I'm sorry if I overset my bounds. Anyways, <laughs> oh, no. um, uh, so if you remember in Three Houses, what you would do, I know different games have different methods of this, but in Three Houses specifically, being the most recent game, you basically had your student, like you kind of tell them this is what you're aiming for, and then they'll like train up their proficiencies and weapons and whatnot to like be able to unlock that class in like an exam and the higher they were the higher the percentage chance of passing was so in three houses you could basically have anyone become anything obviously whatever their starting proficiencies were at would make them more likely to pass certain classes or others so they kind of had like a lean to them where they would lean towards like you know um ferdinand was good as like cavalier type or like horseback type you know, units, but you could also pretty easily train them to like a wyvern knight um, by giving them a couple of other like by leaning them in that direction. And if you wanted to train them into a mage, you could, but it would take longer. This game has a similar sort of lean to it, where there is a proficiency system in this game. It is a little bit different than previous games. Um, I can't. I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not. It's really hard. Uh, so characters have certain proficiencies. How you improve character proficiencies and weapons is also through the emblem system. So, for example, I believe it, it, it gets a little bit nuanced, so I don't remember exactly, but I believe if you level up a character and their bond with Marth, that they gain a sword proficiency. So if you want to train someone into a Myrmidon, or a swordmaster and they don't have a sword proficiency... If you play with that character, say the axe person, um, there's an axe character named Panette. If you train them with Marth and they gain a sword proficiency and it's high enough, then you can use a master seal, which those existed in previous games, and they will be allowed to change into a sword master. But you have to train them up with an emblem to give them that sword proficiency first. You have to like kind of basically like like do like the manual grinding to get to that certain point. Correct. If you want However, if you want to train, I guess Panette is a pre-promoted class. She's a berserker, so she already is a berserker. If you if I take another unit, let's just say um um one second. Amber. Amber is a is a is a Lance Cavalier. So he can train up to, if you upgrade him to uh, Paladin, you can do that right away. But you could train him up into anything else you wanted to if you gave him the right emblems to give him the right proficiencies and whatever you're trying to train him into. So Yes, you can reclass, but there is, similar to Three Houses, a lean where certain characters will basically, by default, be able to translate to one promoted class, but you can lean them other ways with a little bit of effort, which I think is a fair compromise. Um, I I kind of went the old school fossil route, as Brian would say, and I just kind of trained up each unit into the kind of like the class they're kind of disposed towards. I'm sure... Once the game is out and people do like the theory crafting or whatnot, people might realize like, oh, if you train up this character with this emblem and get them into this unit, that actually works really, really well. And like I said, that's kind of how I actually started this topic. Is I think that's probably the most interesting part of the game is sort of this tactical combining. It's almost like the pair up system in a sense. It's kind of like a mix between pair up or battalions um, in other games where you're kind of comparing or combining a unit with an emblem and then based on, you know, the unit's abilities, the emblem's abilities and weapons and what the class they are, you can come up with, you know, some pretty cool combinations. Uh, for example, Ike makes a really good tanky uh, emblem. So if you put Ike onto Rosado, who is a flyer, who is also useful in axes, they can kind of tank but also move quite fast because they're on a flying unit. Um, so that works out pretty well. 
um, and so on and so forth. I've already given a couple of uh, examples for that. So that's basically the preview of Fire Emblem Engage. Um, I, I, at the very least, I hope for those listening, that kind of gives you a better, uh, I guess, know what to expect. Because, you know, every Fire Emblem game is a little different, and this has its own flavor and its own strengths and weaknesses, I think. So I, I think it'll be most interesting. It'll be most interesting. Sorry. It'll be most interesting to see people who jumped on with Awakening or with Three Houses, what they think of this one for a couple of reasons. One, it is mechanically a different sort of game. You know, it's kind of focusing on different things with different um, kind of flavor to it. But two, a lot of the fan service emblem stuff, I don't like how much will that click with them? Like, who is. Who is this leaf person? I don't know. Oh, yeah, anyway. that, that, yeah, that's gonna be interesting to see, like how like newcomers through even Awakening, like you know um, mm-hmm. how how they respond to this. Because I think I think for people who have already like you know like me, you and Chow, like who played a lot of like, the older Fire Emblems, like we mm-hmm. kind of like I think we have a good idea what to expect now from what you you've said. It's like okay, like for me, like as long as a Fire Emblem game has like really fun gameplay, then I I, I I'm willing to below but put up with yeah, a lot yeah. of bullshit. Like we mm-hmm. stomach the crappy story from Fates. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I mentioned this earlier if you were here. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah we stomach, able... if we could stomach that, we could stomach any gameplay loops from Fire. That's Island. true. Actually, true. Well, it sounds like it's kind of suited to your kind of preferences, Adam, because you're you really like the spinning plate RPG where you have all these mechanics, you've got these classes and emblems and and it doesn't it feels like it's you're less high on the story aspect, but you kind of yeah. that's less important to you. I anyways. don't usually yeah, I usually don't come to this genre for like the story itself. So it's just that I'm not really feeling the story or the characters. I mean I guess I, I practically have beaten the game. I'm right before the final level, but uh it that's not really the strong suit to me. And where I thought three houses was pretty respectable in that regard I will say also, one last thing, I know some people were kind of mixed on the fact that Three Houses had multiple branches. First of all, it just makes it a, a more of a time commitment if you wanted to do multiple routes, but also some people felt like they would do a route and they kind of felt like they got like an incomplete picture, it wasn't satisfying in some way. This game is just one route, no branches, no decisions in that sense, which to some people that might be a breath of fresh air. Like, thank God, just just play the game start to finish. So there's that, there's that too. So if you really didn't like Three Houses because of its branching system, at least that's not here. So. I didn't realize people felt so strongly about the branch. I like. Oh, I, I know. I know at least one person who didn't like that, or like you know, Fates has the multiple yeah. routes in a way. Also, I, I, I mean, Fates so, also had you like dish out additional money yeah. for the other routes too. Yeah, Pokemon route. <laughs> so. so sick. So yeah. So obviously, uh, when does this release? On the twenty seventh. 20th, I think. Yeah, 20th sounds right. Uh, okay, I was a week uh, a week late. Yeah, the 20th. So uh, in two weeks, we'll be able to talk about this game on our release. I guess. Yeah, format. I'm excited to try to try it out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to this one. Like, I, I, I'm I'm still surprised at like how much of like a big graphical lead is over three houses. Oh, like, I didn't mention really... that. It is it is by far the best looking Fire Emblem, and also like battle animations are pretty good. I mean, awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's enough of it that it's almost just eventually you're going to turn those animations off. Eventually you are, but they yeah. are pretty good. 
Well, thank you, Adam, for sharing your preview thoughts on Fire Emblem Engage. Uh, we will be talking about this again in a couple of weeks in our releases, and I, I'm sure a few of us will be playing through it. It feels kind of unfair to it a little bit, but I'm like, well, I hope I can get rid of this. Uh, get rid of this. It, I guess kind of betrays my mindset there. I hope I can kind of clock this one early just to get it kind of out of the way before February lands. So I'm like, sorry, Fire Emblem Engage. I got to be I got to be efficient with you uh before before we get into february but you know maybe we'll be surprised because a lot of the gameplay mechanics that you've just talked about sound really uh engaging pun intended Mm. so the second game that we're going to be talking about is one that at least in the circles that i am in has been getting a lot of word of mouth and we've been getting a few replies and comments on our website about covering this game this game came out in early december an indie rpg inspired by 16-bit jrpgs of yesteryear and that is chained echoes so this released in early december it is the debut project for indie developer matthias linda published by deck 13 and this has been getting a a lot of look in and a few people have asked where it is on our RPG of the Year awards, uh, where it is just in general, coverage for it. Of course, it just kind of released at a very unfortunate time, uh, being you know a couple weeks before the winter holidays. So I, I grabbed this, downloaded it on my Steam Deck, and I basically made Harvestella and Chained Echoes my two holiday break games uh, in terms of I wanted to make sure I got... A uh, decent look in at Chain Deco so I could speak to it on this podcast How today. How did you get on this game? I- I'm curious. I'm in Act 3. I'm about like okay. 24 hours in. Okay. I've heard that the game, if you're pretty exhaustive, is like 40 hours. So a long but not obscenely persona long JRPG. And there's a lot that I want to talk about on this game. But at a high level, this game, it is really good. It's... I, okay, I'll be honest enough and say, I, I think the further that you get into this game, the further that I got into this game, the more I disliked it. And I'm pretty, I, I, I don't, I do not like the game um, after coming, like, you know, after playing it. I I know that I knew that you had mentioned that as you got further in that you weren't as high on it. So I kept I kept waiting Mm -hmm. for like, is this the thing that Josh didn't feel? Maybe it was this or Mm -hmm. maybe it was this. And there there are a few things like I, I do have a few nitpicks, but they don't. Let's really... establish the premise first. Let's establish the premise. Right. Like, what this, what All this right. Is so, so the premise is is that you are on a, a fantasy world that is kind of like entering. It's kind of it's not quite steampunk. It's more like mage punk kind of setting where there's there is some technology, but the idea is is that this is the seventh age of this universe, uh, and the some of the, at a high level it sounds kind of very archetypal, but the power of magic has dwindled over the years over the generations the amount of magic that the different races are able to to utilize has diminished and you learn throughout the game why that is however there have been certain factions at play that have been trying to manipulate how magic is conducted in this world to try to re-energize it and utilize it in order to um prevent kind of the destruction of the world and the way that this works is that in this it kind of has a very final fantasy 7 live stream vibe where when a, a person dies their ether their soul their magic 
tendency kind of goes back into this pool called the maelstrom and then it is kind of recycled and reborn into a new body and a new soul however the amount of people the population has continued to increase with a fixed amount of magic therefore magic is dwindling and this has a lot of different like repercussions throughout the world the two main repercussions is that some people are born as shells where they don't get like sufficient magic to have a soul and then the other repercussion is that in certain circumstances certain people have almost like a magical memory of their previous existence. And that's kind of a very key component of the story. Uh, So for instance, this main character, his name is Glenn. He was born kind of in a prison camp, but somehow has, he knows how to read and he know he know he has knowledge that he really shouldn't. It's like, how do you know this Glenn? And it's because he, for some reason has a history from his previous soul, his previous existence that you kind of learn has been manipulated to be who he is today. And there's a few other characters that have kind of a very similar mindset. I'll just say Um, that kind of makes sense with the uh, game's title now, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, echoes is a a mechanic. Capital E echo is a mechanic in the game uh, and a key part of the story. Uh, this game takes a lot of very clear inspiration from a lot of different places and several games I had played. And then when Adam was watching me play it, he was like, Oh, that's, that works kind of like this. So for instance, it's not not even the key inspirations, right? This, this, to me, this game feels like a Frankenstein of references that like, it doesn't have an identity of its own because it's trying to make so many references to like other RPGs. Yeah. So I, I I had like a mental list and it's, I think I'm up to like seven or eight games long. So, oh my god! And, it's it's even more than that. <laughs> it's even like it's like twenty. All right. So it it has a it has collectibles that are basically lifted from the Xenoblade series. They're like floating orbs that you pick up, and you get a bonus if you get all of them in an area. And then it has the bizarre system like Final Fantasy twelve, where you'll sell loot drops, and if you sell like a certain combination of them to the store, they'll have a deal for you that you can use to buy uh, a new piece of gear. Um, it has a early on in the story. There's a section that's like. Final Fantasy VI, where your party gets split up, and it's like, whose path do you want to follow first? Um, I already mentioned the Final yeah. Fantasy VII. Yeah, they reference. have Chrono Trigger, the, the amusement park uh, type deal, where they give you coins to um, mm-hmm. around that, that that whole thing. You have the Chrono Cross S, like kind of like leveling system with the SP type mm-hmm. stuff. You kind of have uh, the, the 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 reward board list, like kind of like the bat, like you know, like when you get a, a chain of like objectives together. I for, um, that reminds you, I think it was like FF12 that did a similar thing. It reminds me a little bit of the FF12 license board, but it's more rewarding you with uh, SP and money yeah. rather than stats. yeah. It's, it's more the presentation that that that, that yeah. But the presentation uh, like is very much like a license board. Yeah, um, Adam, they, they, I haven't they, played they, this game, but Adam said that uh, the skill system is very similar to like a Wild Arms, Wild Arms Two. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, then you have then you just have like locations. Like there's like a like when you when you set up like camp early on, like that whole map right where they first set up cap there is straight lifter from Seiken that sets you three there's like a abandoned castle, uh, castle section that's like from dragon quest three or four i forgot which dragon well quest. Like, there's a second there's a section that is very clearly and so many things have referenced this that i don't even know if it if it's almost like its own thing now. There, there's like not castle even like referencing like like the the prologue's name is the alpha not the omega which is from xeno like you know referencing Z, like you know i'll play on xeno mm-hmm. gears um but it does not even referencing like you know there a certain po- at a certain point in the story you'll start like piloting these mechs and then all the co- and then you can put color schemes on them and they're very much referencing like you know mechs like goddamn is like the Gundam uh, color scheme you have the Adam one Adam two Adam three that's Ava you have a, a skin a color scheme that's just called Barbados and it looks like 
fucking oh, I never Barbados from from uh, Iron Blooded Orphans. It's just like I said, there's like so much to this game that like if I, I like I, I my friend and I have been like you know discussing about this. I feel like the more you've played older classic GRPGs, the and it depends on how much you're willing to like are, are okay with like references to a game. Like for me, I like when games like are inspired by something and like do references here and there. I don't like when the whole product is like just a whole mishmash Frankenstein of like references like oh yeah i understood that reference i understood that reference it's like it just I, I can't think of like many things about this game that it does like originally and like there and then there are like narrative beats about the story that like really 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 irk me that like i, I don't understand like how people think like this game is like written or well or how they could, they could like the story then they're like there's like key flaws to the story that like i don't understand how like people like like this game like from a storytelling perspective as well Mm. There, yeah. there was a couple of story beats later on that I thought were a bit silly, but they didn't really like color my interpretation too much. For instance, there's something that occurred with the Sova people later that I felt was kind of unnecessary, but it was just kind of like, huh, that was strange, but it didn't really sour me that much. It was like, that's not how I would have done that. But I don't like that they kind of like do an off screen genocide of a certain type of people, and then like they never really kind of touched that upon again because that was like a, a major beat for a certain party member. I don't like that a certain party member, like they kind of like do shock value for this certain party member's uh, 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 like motivations later, where like, uh, like he had a sibling that got like sexually assaulted and like is now in a coma. And oh, like oh. and and that like barely like it barely fucking matters. They didn't even give her a name, you know. Like the, the only thing you know about like that sibling is like that's that that's what happened. And like they don't really kind of give it that that sort of like levity that it should. It's kind of it, it's kind of more like put out there as shock value to like spur this like party member to what they do, you know, moving forward. But it's kind of more like a narrative like excuse more so than like kind of treating it like in a more like you know serious kind of way you kind of you have a, a certain party member where like most of their backstory is like kind of done on the spot when like a certain part like way way later into the game and it's and it's like it's kind of fine it's kind of done in a slapdash manner as well because like this character is like does, knows a lot about the church i wonder why they know a lot about the church and then when that when their their narrative beats happen like it's kind of like just kind of it's kind of like done in there like it, it's like it's never really placed into focus the way that should it's kind of it's kind of like the bothier equivalent except this character is way less charming than bothier in a way mm -hmm. so like I, i'm just saying that like i can understand why people like this game but to me there's like a, a game has to have like some some originality put to like the their 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 what their ambition is you know like i need to see like what like what the creator is like aiming for not this the the creator being like oh i like this uh jrpg i think i'm just gonna put this thing from a jrpg that i like i played and then that's that because there are just so many things that like are kind of like done in this game and like it it doesn't it it, it doesn't feel cohesive i guess is what i'm trying to say like like the stagger debuff for example like it's like give it to you as a tutorial but it, it's only ever relevant in like the early like a small part of the early game and like one other small section they get and you never see that staggered thing again because they i don't know if the developer forgot that they got a debuff or, or, or that, that had that it feels like a lot of these things are just kind of like they're there they're put in and then they're forgotten like uh, at a certain point that i think the thing that really annoys me too on top of this is like they're just like certain design decisions about this game that like like the map design in this game, like in Act One, is like fine, and I was okay with it. 
as soon as you get the mechs, map design and uh, like just goes down the drain because at a certain point af- uh, at the end of Act One into Act Two, you get like these mechs, and out in the field, um, you can call your mech, and like there's like two two modes to like this mech uh, traversal. There's like a hover mode and a fly mode. Hover mode, you can still go around. You'll still hit obstacles, um, but you can still you know kind of move around. And uh, and by passive environmental objects in fly mode, you go all the way up. You don't interact with any enemies. You can go explore, freely explore the map, and so forth. Uh, on that, um, and th- there'll be some like battles you want to go into mech mode, uh, and so forth in that. But that like the the whole the reason why that there's even like modes uh, in the first place like it's kind of stupid because like when you first get like the mech for example on like a certain place there's like crates in your way and, like you're like on an airship and it's like why can't like my mech just like go over like the, these crates it doesn't fucking make sense so i have to go out of this out of my mech to go and like go through some crates to get to a chest when like i'm like i have a fucking mech that can fly i don't know if i can just go, not go over them and then like for certain parts of like the map you can't just like freely land on any part of the map when you're your mech because the, the the narrative decision or like the, the, the story or lore uh reason for this is because there's exposed weak points on the mech like underneath it so obviously it cannot land like on enemies like so that makes sense because there's exposed use but it also cannot land on water and it, can, it cannot uh land on like high grass because there's exposed weak points it's like what the fuck and it's so like and that and becomes immediately annoying in the first map that like full map that you like uh, visit like it's like a snowfield when you first get these mechs because that whole region it just designed to like piss you off of like there's like this whole like layer of the snow covered with high grass so that means you cannot like you know land on any of this only at this certain part because you have to go weave your way around the map uh, after you land here to go here because of the high grass and it's like it's, it's, it's like it's so ridiculous right and it's like this doesn't feel like fun. Like it doesn't really capture like the fun of like have mech in the first place. You know, there's not even going to like the stupid battle mechanics over the mechs. To be honest, when you when you get a mech, like we'll go that, over that later. So it's like it's a lot of like little things that add up that like just piss me off, and I'm just like, why did you even do this then? Why did you even yeah, do this? The, the 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 mech traversal, I do admit, is a bit contrived, but I kind of like it from a puzzle aspect where it's just like how do i navigate through here oh i gotta get off my mech to squeeze through this cave then i can yeah, get on my mech and land here. Puzzle for that, but it's like it's like but the reason behind it is so stupid yeah yeah, yeah. the reasoning is contrived I, I do give you that where it's just like i can't land on the water but if i land on the shore then i can hover over the water it's like why can't i just go from flying to hovering over the water but yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of thought of it more of as just as a, as a puzzle mechanic. Oh, I see that chest. How do I get there? Oh, if I land here, then I can go to, through this enemy, and then through this. Here's a spot here I can call my mech, and then aha, I'm rewarded. And I always, <laughs> I do like. <laughs> if I'm gonna be honest with you, Brian, like I was perfectly fine with like, like you know, it's like it's a, it's another like you know indie RPG that like is inspired by like class. It's like okay, like the, the this is kind of neat what they're going for here and there. But once I saw people like kind of like giving this praise like the second coming of christ i'm like i don't know <laughs> you know mm-hmm. i don't know about that like it, it's certainly like a, a very ambitious jrpg and i really like like the the pixel art style for it but you know, when you really break down the game from like on a molecular level and like start thinking about things about this game it's like it's like it, uh, to me the only way i can like reason it out in my head and like try to understand where people are coming from like is like 
you probably haven't played like many RPGs before or something for like for certain people, right? So I'm just like, because for me, it's just like, I, if I the, the more references it keeps spitting out at me, the more I'm just like, I just I don't oh, need you yeah. to keep on doing this, dude. I want you to like have one single original thought, uh, please. Oh no, the way that you make it sound like this is like the ready player one of RPGs. Almost, you're not rocking wrong. You are not fucking wrong. Holy shit, that's so good. God damn, fuck, I didn't think about that. You're not wrong. It's like it's just nothing but references to this. Like, hey, do you get this? Do you get this? Yeah, and it it never stops. That's the thing. Like, I kind of wish it just stops, and it doesn't. And it's just like, man, fuck. Sorry, uh, go go go, bro, go, Brian. I, well, I, 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 I mean, I honestly don't know where to take it from there. <laughs> so sorry, but it's like oh. when it comes to like when, when talking about this game, it's just like ah, like you, you're almost there. You're almost there. I just need you to like do something like that on your own, please. Um, I, I guess the and also the thing. So I guess we'll go to the battle system, right? There's the turn-based RPG, and they kind of do this kind of conceptually neat thing on paper where there's like a bar at the upper left corner and like there's like three phases of this bar there's like an orange bar a green bar and a red bar as people take turns they're filling up this gauge and uh the main goal is you want to keep that cursor within the green zone because in the green zone yeah, uh, you'll do more damage, you'll take less damage, and the the cost of your skills is reduced. So you want to keep it in that green zone as much as possible. When it goes over to the red zone, th- those bonuses applied to your to your opponent, where you'll do less damage. Yeah, you, you basically take like double damage. Yeah, you'll it do might du- not be double, uh, but yeah. it, you, t- you take a shit yeah, ton of damage. You take a shit ton of damage, and uh, and then like the the, the normal orange zone is kind of like just like you know everything's at normal values. So you're you're trying to ramp up to the green zone. And stay within that green zone as much as possible. There are certain turns and types of skills. Sometimes, like when you're in the green zone and there, uh, it's a character's turn, uh, a skill might be highlighted orange. So that means if you use that skill, you'll uh, turn the, the the gauge back, the cursor back, to make sure. To, so it's kind of like a an insurance that, like, hey, if you're if you're if you're getting close to red, you might want to use this skill to um, turn the cursor back. There's also like minor. Um, there's also other options you can do in battle that'll do a little bit of like it'll turn it back. Like when you defend in battle, they'll turn that cursor back just a tiny bit. When you switch to an, uh, to like your secondary character, because you can have up to eight people in your party, but only four of them deployed at the time, so you can like kind of duo duo people together, kind of like link them together, so they can. You can when you switch to another character from your backline, it'll also turn that cursor back a little bit. Um, in action, this uh, this this mechanic kind of becomes annoying because there'll be some points where, like, okay, I've been uh, I've been going uh, through pro- uh, characters' turns, and like a lot a good chunk of them haven't had any uh, skills highlighted in orange, so I've had haven't had like a chance to like turn the cursor back. Then all of a sudden, you'll get to a character that um, that'll have like a skill in orange. But it's a completely useless skill that may not serve you anything on this turn. So, like for example, there's this uh, character Sienna. She's like your main DPS uh, of the group, but she's also a thief, so she has the um, skill to like steal from enemies. Um, the game already gives you an indicator of like whether a ter- uh, an enemy can be stolen from. 
Um, so you don't have to like determine whether you can steal from an enemy or not. It'll give you like a green check mark or an X on whether you can steal from this enemy or not, or whether you'll get anything from this enemy any anyway. So there'll be a times, for example, where um, you're close to getting uh, this gauge to red, uh, but it's Sienna's turn. You want to do big damage, but then um, you'll see that if you do big damage, you'll go over to the red. So, but her skill pilfer to steal from an enemy is in orange. So it's like, okay, well, I have to take this turn to use pilfer on like an enemy that can't be stolen from just to dial that uh gauge back down and so like so in action like you're kind of forced to like tur- take some like dead turns to like just dial that uh gauge which is like you know kind of well, annoying for, for me just, like, i actually found i've actually found that level of quote-unquote inconvenience to be actually quite compelling where i was like okay i'm nearly i'm almost out of my green range and going to go into the red range if I do an attack. So if, when I'm kidding out my skills on my units, I'm like, all right, I want to make sure I have coverage. I want to make sure that I give a magic attack to Glenn. I want to make sure that I give a buff to Senna. I want to give a, you know, a physical attack to Victor it's just so that on their turn, if I need to, I can have them dial back the gauge or, okay, if I have, if I have her do this attack, I'm going to go into the, um, into the red zone and take a lot more damage, but I might clear out a couple of the enemies on the way. So I'll be fine. So I kind of, I actually really kind of enjoyed sort of that give and take where it's like, okay, it's Sienna's turn. If I have her attack, I'm going to go into the, um, the damage phase. I forget what it's called, the red part of the bar. However, I, I'm pretty confident she can at least take out two of these three enemies. So maybe I'll go ahead and do that anyway and just risk it. Or I can play it safe and be like, all right, let's, let's dial down the bar and I'll, you know, take the dead turn, as you said, just to be more cautious. I mean, so yeah, I, actually, I mean, if that, yeah, the, I could, I can see like, you know, people, yeah, I can see why you feel like, you know, why people might find that compelling. To, to me, it's just like, like, I, I kind of wish that like it was more evenly balanced on like what, like when people are able to like dial the gauges back down because you could definitely plan to do it as much as you can, but the, the, at certain points, you will be forced to take a dead turn and be like, all right, I guess, I guess like, you know, just it's, it's something that's inevitable, inevitably going to happen and something that you can't plan for, uh, plan for. But for me, it's just like, it kind of feels like, it, it feels kind of dumb for me for like the, in an RPG for like to have a character take a turn at a turn-based RPG and like, they just can't do nothing except like play by the rules of the, uh, of like a, a certain gauge because that's kind of like the fundamentals of the game. It's like, dead uh, like you know you have to play by the dead turns it's like it's like it's not even like it's not even like challenging at that point because like at a certain point in this game like the the combat kind of solves itself and you have a strategy and like once you exploit the strategy it's like you're kind of like going through the like the motions like there there's like very very little about this game after you kind of like understand like the importance of buffs and debuffs in this game like and how overpowered that they are they like nothing else ever fucking matters in, in combat because once you do the strategy well once you've solved it you're just kind of doing this again and again and again and it will work for like 99 percent of encounters because you're just like like for example like the, there's like a, a special uh, a, a special meter that like you can uh, activate uh on a character on a specific character because every character has like their own unique um a special uh ultimate attack and so forth some might be like a like supports some might be like doing a lot of damage and so forth but you know once you figure out hey glenn has like the fucking most op like special like uh the, the special ultimate skill like nothing fucking matters because like but when you use uh, like a special you also like uh crank down the it's gauge like, by it, a lot it's, too it, it's it's like a it's like a limit break basically uh, yeah, it's like whatever you want to call it yeah. yeah yeah it's like a limit break so like glenn's is like an aoe to all enemies and they'll and they'll take a debuff to attack defense um 
like and all, all, all like two other like stats are debuffed for like three turns or something. It's it's like, it's, oh. it's attack down, magic down, defense down, magic defense down. Yeah, so it's, it's basically yeah. RN's four breaks all in one, <laughs> pretty much. And it's like it's available to you like as soon as like you get the the thing, and then it's just it's just one of those things that like I I I like when in RPGs when you're forced to like adopt different strategies like at certain parts of the game because of like the options or like the like the limited parties or like there's something about the enemy design or something about the encounter design and it's like and but once you find like you know a certain setup in this game like and it's like it's not, it's not something like you i looked up it's just like it's like oh okay these are like really really handy and like once i like saw that and like it's just like oh okay well i guess that's really it for combat and that and the combat never really got like exciting (laughs) but that's just me once again i I think i think people will find different strategies based on how they pair their um their character with their class emblem so you unlock different class emblems which gives them like a stat boost Uh, for instance if it's the cleric it gives them like extra mind and extra tp which is like the mp of this game and healing spells Uh, so you can pair basically a character's inherent skill abilities with the class abilities. i I have a question for you i have a question Mm -hmm. for you the cleric class emblem. Who did you give it to? I gave it to Victor. Okay. And... Ask mm-hmm. ask anyone else in this game who they gave that cleric uh, class emblem to. I bet you ninety percent, if not ninety nine percent of them, will say Victor. Okay. And is that is that is that really a choice, or is that just like, it, like I feel like this game has like like it gives you the the like uh, the illusion of choice, but like everyone has the same answers because that's like. That, that, that's Wait, kind of why, like why, why Victor? Just because he, Victor is like a bard. He's, he buffs, but that, so he has high magic and high mind. Uh, mind is the stat. It's like magic defense, but also does healing power. Um, and there, the game has a bespoke healer named Amalia, but she just is like, if your team is topped off, she's far less useful where if your team is topped off and doesn't need to heal, Victor can either cast spells or buff attack or defense. Yeah. So basically, the, 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 the one weakness of, of Victor is like, he can't do an AOE heal, but the cleric class emblem gives him the, like the each cleric class em, or each class emblem gives you like, like two abilities. And one of the abilities on the, on the cleric class emblem is a heal all spell, which is like the last piece of the puzzle for Victor to like really make him shine. So like that cleric class emblem, I bet you over 90, 90% of the players who have ever touched Chain Echoes have paired Victor with that cleric class emblem. I'm like, and I don't think there's really like a, necessarily like a a better use out of that class emblem. I think everyone found who did, that. Who did you, who did you give Vampire to? I gave it to Glenn. Yeah, same here. So maybe you're on uh-huh. something. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, you know. And the nice thing I about mean, these emblems is that they do have kind of like a Final Fantasy IX aspect to them, or once you master them, you can keep the skill and you, you don't have the stat buff, but you can keep the skill. So I had Glenn, the vampire has a passive where he uses up HP whenever he attacks, but increases his attack by like 15%. Um, and so I gave him that passive, mastered it out, and now I have it on, I think, uh, oh, what's her name? The, the, the martial artist. Optional character. Oh, uh, I I forgot her Mink- name off the top of my head. Minka. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. The Blue Mage's granddaughter. But yeah, she's another big, big physical attacker. So I'm like, all right, I'll give her the vampire emblem. So because using losing a little bit of HP um, per attack, but in exchange for a huge damage buff is not that big a deal. So that's a, I think that's one of the more powerful passives. 
But, yeah. So mm-hmm. like like I said, like I can see why people like this game. I just I just don't understand the like you know like the a lot of the like like the rave behind this game. I guess after getting my headset, but that's just me. Like that's just the way that my mind works. Like you know when I'm like thinking about playing these games, especially games that like really try to like you know tap into like. You know, like oh, the, like the the like the classic JRPG that yesterday. It's like, okay, are you doing anything to evolve the formula or like give your own original spin on it? It's like, no. It's like, all right, okay. The one thing it does, this game does do well is, um, one the 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 soundtrack at some points is really good. Like the like the emblem fights, like the OST for those battles is really good, and the uh, the turtle race, um, at the very beginning of the game, like that festival Chrono Trigger type thing. Like mm-hmm. when you when you you can bet on like a, a turtle to win the race, and like as soon as that race uh, turtle race starts, it's like a like heavy death metal um, <laughs> uh, jam playing as the turtles are racing. That's really good because that was that was very unexpected and very good. So yeah. Um, other than that, I just I don't know. I don't. I, I guess I guess maybe the magic of this game is kind of lost on me um, when I think about like what I like and dislike about this game. I think the most silly reference that there was was you find a creature who looks like a link to the past zora mm-hmm. and he's like uh why did she marry a, a, a river they're not called zoras of course they're like oh don't they know i live in a river not a lake basically the, the, the difference between yeah. lake zoras and river zoras or right, right, like right. and i'm like uh-huh. ah, i see what they're doing mm-hmm. here so that, at that point i was kind of rolling my eyes like that's not even you know i don't know this game is not zelda like in really any other way other than a top-down view i suppose but they decided to throw that in there i thought yeah. it was a little bit silly and a bit cheeky um yeah. So yeah, I guess it's been a while since we've had a game on the podcast where two people feel kind of uh, on opposite sides of it. So, I'm sorry, Brian. <laughs> no, it's no problem. I mean, I, I'm I, I, one thing I kind of I don't pride myself on this, but you know, you see the sort of things where it's like, how dare Game Informer, whoever, give this game that I loved a low score, or what? What are they? What are they thinking? Giving this game that I hated a high score? It's like people have opinions. How dare they? So I don't know. Like that again whenever whenever any review uh, is written it's the you know it's the opinion of one person who has different yeah. preferences and different things that they rate highly adam i don't know what adam might score fire emblem engage but someone who doesn't care about romance or the lack of it might score that game higher than someone who does that's a general and, and, right. and be like where is it so uh, a couple of things for Change Echoes that I do want to call out. Um, yeah. I do think that the art style is really good. It's um, it do- it avoids the it avoids the uh, um, Aiden Chronicles Rising sort of very cheap look. It has I a like more the environmental like graphics for sure. Like the like there's there's a lot of care and detail put into like especially like um, like vistas in the game and like and, and in house like decorations. Like there's a lot of like great sprite work. Uh, and yeah. The, the, only th- the only thing that I did wish is I wish there was like uh, uh, another like portrait for like sh- expressing emotion when like people are talking about each other because they only have like one portrait image uh, when they're speaking to each other. They don't have like a happy portrait image or a sad portrait image that like, conveying like you know they're you have that 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 one because maybe that's like you know constraints of development, especially solo development. You know, um, but yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And like, for instance, was like the main character, Glenn, like his sprite, his hair is like two different pieces. So like mm. his the front of his hair is a slightly different sprite than the back of his head. Yeah. And yeah. so when he runs, it looks like it's flopping up and down a little bit, which yeah, is it's it's very a, small, it's but it's, 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 it's little, little attention to detail like that, where I think this game, like I actually kind of prefer this art style 
more than like the HD2D thing where it's smeared in bloom and depth of field and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, yeah. I, I think the Zeitstrauss is a bit more clean. And I do agree, mm-hmm. like, the, the, I wouldn't call it a weakness, but the, the portraits are kind of standard fare. They, they, they look fine, they fit the art style, but I think the pixel art of like the over of the environments and the over uh, overfield view is better than the portraits themselves, which are just fine. Um, but yeah, it's a meaty game. It's got a lot of side objectives. It does have a lot of references. So uh, depending on how you feel about that, take it or leave it. I guess there's, I'm sure there's tons that I missed, though there were tons that I picked up to my credit. And Josh said, depending <laughs> on how many RPGs you've played. <laughs> so yeah, they, maybe I, I, maybe yeah, I, I have played a little bit of hate on that aspect. But no, I mean, so, no, it's, it's just like, it's like one of those things that like, once you understand that like this game is like loves to reference, you're just kind of like more keen about it i guess i will say though that the the, the similar game that i played in the last year was that symphony of war game and that Mm -hmm. game didn't have as many references but it had an absolute part of my language i I feel so bad like calling out indie developers but it just had a very bad story it was not good at all where this story has a lot of basically archetypal callbacks to things that have been done before but they're it's doing things like full metal alchemist brotherhood and castle in the sky and you know things that are well regarded so is it playing parakeet yeah a little bit but it's better than the original story that i played last year on another indie rpg i don't know so i mean yeah that that, that doesn't really mean like you know like just because it does that doesn't mean like it's like automatically verse you know obviously like Mm. the execution is everything as well right so but uh i think um the the transition between acts was a bit weird there's a there's a section where glenn lives on his own for like three months that goes comes and goes and like 10 gameplay minutes which i'm like they could have <laughs> i actually kind of wish they kind of extended that out a bit where like, me too. this is an interesting an idea but make me play as this for make this an hour of gameplay yeah and, the, and, like, and, uh... and then pull the twist because they kind of introduce a concept and then 10 minutes later like okay on to act two here you go i'm like oh but that, i was actually kind of enjoying that you should yeah, you should have dwelled like a really in interesting it. plot point and then like you just uh, i think that, that that's the that's the thing that's a really frustrating thing about the game for me again it's like you have a really interesting plot point but then, like you're either you refuse to elaborate on it, or like you just it's just it's so surface level that it's like it's hard to care. Mm-hmm. Well, Chain Echoes released in December, so it'll be kind of a this year coverage for RPG site. Uh, I don't know if anyone's lined up to review it or if we even will, but at least we're able to give it a look in on the podcast here uh, because I know some people are wondering, like, where are you discussing this? Well, hopefully, hopefully you got a little bit of back and forth on this. Episode are, like, here. as long as Josh never reviews it, then we're good. Well, I mean, say about we've had games. I can't think of a specific one offhand, but we've had games where someone who's not on our podcast reviews it. And then we're kind of like, well, we don't really feel that way about it. Uh, the five of us here. So it happens. Uh, so this is one of the one, one of the times that actually is two podcast participants. So I do appreciate that just in and of itself. Uh, the other game that I played, I believe I have this one set up next. The other game that I played over the break, and I'll keep this one a bit shorter because I did discuss it a fair bit on the end of the year podcast, is Harvestella. So this is a game, obviously, uh, that came out in November as a Rune Factory-like published by Square Enix and developed by Livewire. This game, I kind of picked up on a whim. There was a lot of November releases. I picked up Pokemon, barely played it. I picked up a few other games. Like, I think I just got through Star Ocean 6 by the time this rolled around. I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just dive into Harvestella. Just because I've never played Rune Factory. I've never played Harvest Moon. But I just want to see what it's like. Uh, Harvestella, the way that it was marketed, made it feel like this really comfy, cozy 
casual thing that you just kind of you you do a few days, make some crops, sell some stuff, upgrade your farm, raise some chickens, raise some sheep. Uh, and it just seemed like like this really low key thing, but it ends up feeling way more like a traditional, almost by the numbers JRPG than than I expected. And it almost feels like something out of near or near automata in the Is way that a good it, or bad thing like a like a depend expectations versus reality i think for someone like me who doesn't have a lot of preconceptions of what a good farming sim is like having not played stardew valley having not played whatever chow's favorite rune factory game is so from i guess it's one of those things where where it's like i didn't have expectations to be subverted or upended so i guess i was just kind of happy to roll with the punches but i could see potentially someone playing this me like this isn't what i wanted this isn't even how the game is marketed remember i forget did did this game come out was it initially shown in a nintendo direct it was either initially shown in a nintendo direct or early shown in nintendo direct and it's like this very slow narrator being like harvest crops tend to your farm right And (laughs) and it's it's it is that a little bit but um so I'm going to spoil some plot points for Harvestella because I don't think I can communicate what this game is like without doing that. So go to the next timestamp if you want Harvestella to be a blind experience for you. Um, you, you, you're first tipped off when you are doing the character story for the engineer character of the game. His name is like Hein. You go to you go to Hein. He's building a submarine, and you go to the bottom of the ocean and you find a torn up. No jokes, American flag. And you're like, what the shit? (laughs) And you eventually learn that the Earth basically succumbed to magical overpopulation, so to speak. They were basically going to to die out. you can, it has a very like ecological slant to it, and also also a little bit mystical. There's like this uh, Genova-like force called like the Red Queen that was poisoning the Earth. So what the humans of the Earth did was they created an AI race to then basically find a new Earth, and they call this one Regaia. So old Earth is like old Gaia, and then the new Earth is Regaia, and create like a Gaia. new population of humans. And they call them uh, Canes and Abels. So Canes are like the original. There's a lot of like biblical. You gotta be fucking shitting me! Holy shit! <laughs> so Canes are like the original human race, and Abels are the new like 99.99 percent similar reborn human race because to give them a second chance. And like this AI overseers. So the the Canes created the Ab- the AI, which then essentially created the Abels. And then basically, you learn that the world that you're on is a kind of a recreation of old earth only having like Genesis out of a mechanical artificial means. And then you, you you find like these old research facilities that are like a thousand years old. And you kind of learn like a certain party members who had lost their memories uh, are actually like a different species of human. And the uh, you eventually due to some contrivances in the stories you're 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 positioned in a place where it's like well you have to pick one human race or the other which one are you going to kill and eventually the you you basically say like i'm i'm going to save both you know cuz you're you're to jrpg yeah. and you're the hero but this is a, this is a farming sim <laughs> and i'm just like what are you doing what is this but i i so, it's very it's nothing like it's nothing super novel it's nothing that's out there but i just wasn't expecting it out of this game yeah. um 
And it's, it almost feels like the story ambitions don't fit the gameplay implementation. So the gameplay is really quite simple. It's an action RPG. You only have one basic attack move, and then you can uh, basically hotkey four special abilities based on the class. Uh, sometimes these special abilities are all attacks. Sometimes you get, you get like one buff and three attacks or whatever. And yes, that's the entire game in terms of combat. It's like if I'm playing as the samurai, I have like a single target swing. I've got a swing that gives them a, an armor down debuff. I got a swing that pulls in enemies, and then I got a buff that raises my critical chance. That's that's their four abilities. And every does this game does this game delete your save after you're done with it or something? No, it um it doesn't do anything like that. The uh the it does have like a significant post game where you. Uh, you you fight God shock basically or something that is es- essentially God, uh, but you you basically um, you have like this arc of types this arc A R C or is it A R K this ship of hibernating human bodies that was originally sent to repopulate the the Earth the Regaia, but the, the, it can't sustain both human populations. That's why you have to pick one or the other. Oh, okay. And, okay. Yeah, and then one of your characters who lost her memory learns that she is a Cain and not an Abel, so she is an original human, not a not a Regai human. And so she's like, I need to fight for my people. They, they have all their faith in me. And you're like, no, but we're your people now, or whatever. And eventually you learn to to, to um, accommodate both. Uh, Okay. But yeah, it's a little bit of a far cry from the uh, harvest these cucumbers and sell them at the market to upgrade your chicken coop or, or whatever. Uh, That's how you really populate the earth, maybe. And they should just yeah. let you kill one side. So much for the freedom. Well, of you you basically uh, there's a pivotal moment near the climax of the game where you can pick, and that, that kind of leads to the bad end. And it's one of the things where it's like if you walk out of the room and refuse to make a choice, that's how you get to the true ending and or whatever. Um, but I will say some of the character stories, like on a, on a grand scheme, the story has kind of been there, done that. It's not bad. It's just kind of wrote. Um, mm. I do. I will say a lot of the character stories are quite interesting and usually quite sad and like bittersweet. Sure. Like for instance, um, one of the characters, one of the first ones you meet is a doctor. She's the doctor of the town that first heals you. And basically whenever you, if you ever like die outside of combat, she takes you back to your house. Um, and her parents are doctors and her whole story is basically following in her father's footsteps, which it seems pretty, pretty rope, pretty basic. However, it has a few interesting, just kind of like bittersweet moments where she learns that for some reason, her father didn't give what at the time, the correct medicine to a patient and so the patient died and she's like i'm the, I'm the daughter of a failure like how can this be or whatever but eventually she learns that the patient had an incurable disease so what the father gave her was just something that would subdue the symptoms so that they could be with their family in their final moments things like that and this is then this is something that is kind of doled out and revealed over the um the course of the, her story so basically the the theme there is that you can't save everyone, but you can just kind of like minimize the pain or or sadness or loss. You know, it's kind of picking your battles, you can't be God sort of thing. And, and maybe me summarizing in 30 seconds here, it doesn't quite come across so, you know, so profound. But the stories have a nice way of developing slowly, um, having kind of some interesting character themes, some interesting arcs, uh, 
compared to some of the Fire Emblem supports that I was watching Adam play, they were a lot more interesting to, to kind of have these character stories in Harvestella. Some of them are your party members. Some of them are just key figures in the towns that you're in. Um, so I did enjoy that uh, alongside the main story. It was, they were really good complements to each other and usually served each other. The, each one kind of bolstered the other and nothing felt superfluous or um, on the side completely. Everything kind of felt like it was cohesive and built to the world building really well. Uh, the gameplay, like I said, pretty basic, but served the purpose just fine. Um, but if you're looking for something that's just pure farming sim, this game doesn't have a lot. It's you have like your main farm. You eventually get like a cave environment to dry to to grow like dry crops, and then like a wet environment to to grow um, like tropical crops. And that's kind of it. You get a chicken coop and a and a sheep coop, and that's kind of it in terms of like livestock. Um, and usually that just kind of is supplementing your income so that I will say that the income in this game is really well balanced. Uh, you don't, at least in my, even though I found some really efficient ways to make money, I never felt like I was ever overloaded. There was always plenty to spend money on plenty of like supplies to make or to upgrade gears. It was, it was a good balance where I never felt strapped for cash, but I never felt like in a lot of classic JRPGs, it feels like you can afford everything all the time. Currency is pointless. So it avoided both both pitfalls there. So I thought that was pretty good. It, it uh, feels really neat how like one of the early game, like really like solid ways of uh, getting money is by like cooking and then like bringing them to ends because you'll basically be paid for each uh, unique uh, like dish you give them. And that was really, mm -hmm. uh, really useful early on. Yeah, and in and, and end game you kind of have it gets a little bit more like you're manipulating the game. Like for instance, you'll learn that in the summer the watermelon crop gives you the best return. So the best way to make money in the summer in the end game is literally just buy all the watermelons you can, fill up your entire water waterside crop with watermelons, grow them all and sell them all at the same time. So at that point it really kind of feels like you've broken the game. But that's at the very end. Throughout the course of the main story, yeah, you're 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 going through the seasons, you're cooking new dishes as you get access to more crops and then dropping them off throughout the different towns. And I actually like made a notepad file like, oh, I still got to make this for the seaside town. I still got to make good. this for the for nice. the winter town. So that actually felt really quite engaging like, oh, now now I can finally grow pumpkins. I can make this thing to sell at the main town because uh, now it's finally autumn. Oh, but these pumpkins yeah, well, are yeah, well, a farmer, Ryan. Yeah. So, but no, Harvestella, I think I put it in my top 10 list at like number four. So oh, it made oh, the top nice. half of my list. So like I enjoyed it uh, mainly because I was surprised and the game kind of was more suited to my preferences having not played a lot of farming sims it was more like a gateway for like now you can play more farming sims. But if it's someone where you're, you're really into it and you can have like the... I don't have the point of reference to say like, well, started sort Valley did this better or harvest moon did this better. Uh, so I don't have, so I guess ignorance is bliss kind of there, but for, for kind of a, something that was kind of experimental, I've played a lot of games that I'm just like, I'm not sure I'll like this. And then I end up hating it. Harvestella, I ended up really quite enjoying. So definitely, I don't think it didn't make our top 10 for our site, but it is one thing, a game that I would highly, uh, recommend. I have two questions for you. Mm -hmm. uh one who did you choose to live with in the post game uh i just picked oh yeah so the the the, the again if you are a person that likes romance in these games it's a, it's an afterthought here as well in the end game you basically pick a character and then they live at your house and that's kind of it uh i picked aria who is basically just like the main the main one she's the long okay, red-haired like girl the, in the, okay, in, the in the cover art and i just okay. picked her because she was the main one because i didn't really feel like oh this is the one 
because I don't really okay. care, I guess. And she she Bad. has the most story look in as well. So it feels mm. like, all right, you're the you're the canon choice, quote unquote. I don't care about that as much as <laughs> that might come across. <laughs> all right, well, what was the second question? Second question. How do you feel about emo as a name for a person? Uh, I, I thought it was like, oh, that's kind of strange. But I guess I was kind of over it. Uh, I had my girlfriend watching and she's like, oh, her name's Emo. That's unfortunate. I'm like, yep, that is uh, that is unfortunate. Yeah. So one of the characters. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only other characters they were ever for that, ever that game. It's like I was like, someone's named Emo. And then that stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. So no, Harvestella, uh, I do, uh, do recommend it, though, if you were. Uh, this is coming from a person that has not played a lot of farming sims. So put that uh, in the footnotes. I will say, um, just because I have not played it on Switch, but I do know Colin's played it on Switch, the performance is apparently not great. So if you have the option to play it on Steam Deck, play it on Steam Deck. Oh, yeah, I played it on Steam Deck and it ran pretty pretty damn well. I think I had one crash that seems kind of really random, but other than that, it was it was fine. All right, and then the last game that we have listed here, just just for a, a little a little quick look in, is of course I was asking the cast here what we wanted to talk about on our first um, our first podcast back for 2023, and Chow did what Chow does and said that he was going to play a classic. So Chow said that he had played the uh, the game Sweet Home, which I was not well aware of, but. It, as far as I've learned very recently, it is kind of a progenitor of the survival horror genre. So, Chow, tell me about Sweet Home and why you decided to play it <laughs> over the holidays. Okay, so the whole idea was this, like, oh, my friends are really into, like, horrors and, you know, survival horror games and shit. And they were like, let's watch the Sweet Home movie. And we were like, and we also invited a friend that's not into horror movies. And he's, like, easily scared of horror movies. Like he was engaged the entire time, but the other oh, three yeah. of us was not engaged at all, and we just kept <laughs> shit talking the movie while wow. we were watching this guy while we were watching this movie, and he was like, "Oh, I wasn't feeling scared because of your shit talking comments all the time." <laughs> and so we were like watching this movie; it was god awful, but we heard that because it inspired, you know, the Sweet Home Video game. We got to see the movie, right? And yeah, it wasn't good. So yeah. That's that's what I gotta say about that. So what happens in this this game, or even in the movie, is that uh, this reporter wants to write a case about this uh, kind of like this haunted mansion where this painter uh, painted this like masterpiece or something like that, and they want to go and explore it. So uh, the reporter gets uh, permission from I think it's like the uh, the municipal government or something to get like permission to go there, and he just goes there there to investigate it, right? And he brings his daughter. Uh, there is a lead reporter because the main character is not the lead reporter. Uh, somebody else is the lead reporter. He gets the cameraman who's a creep, and then there is was it? I think there's one more. Uh, there's a I think like a assistant reporter to the main character that likes him because the main character is widowed. So there's that. So that's the five casts in there. Um, they go there, and the mystery is really odd. Like, it doesn't really explain how the powers work in the mansion. Like, first it was saying that you need to avoid the light to, so that you don't get burnt and killed from it. Then later on, it's just like other shit's happening. Like, there's lightning bolts coming from, from below ground. At one point, you step in, you get burnt to death for no reason. It's like, nothing in this movie sort of makes sense. It feels like there's too many ideas all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like in the movie in a nutshell. Uh, in the video game, you basically, it's like 
imagine playing Dragon Quest, but there is no inns. You're just in a mansion, and that healing item comes very sparsely, so that you know it's like finding a green herb in Resident Evil, right? You don't see a lot of them, but they are kind of like carefully placed out through the mansion, right? So that's probably where the idea came from, where you have limited healing supplies and no place to rest. And the game has permadeath, which is kind of odd oh. for NES RPG. Do you think do you think Resident Evil had permadeath in mind at a certain point, uh, like at a certain point in development? If they would have like a team members, because what's really weird about this game is that every character has a key item, right? You know how Resident Evil is more of a puzzle game than a horror game, right? You're trying to find a key to open access to the next area most of the time, right? Okay, yeah. Like, and this game has a lot of those elements, right? You could split mm. into like two groups, or you could go in solo. But the thing is, every character that you use has a key item. For example, the main character has a lighter, and the assistant reporter has a first aid kit, right? So she's like one of the few people that can heal. But what happens if someone dies? So if someone like dies, then wouldn't you be locked out of a key item? It's like, no, uh, you could still pick up the the key items from your dead party members, right? Oh, okay. So, so you're not completely game locked in case if someone dies, right? And I didn't fully beat the NES version because, you know, NES games are stupidly hard. So I, I watched a Let's Play of, of someone beating the whole game of getting the true ending because apparently how the ending works in the game is based on how many people were still alive. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, that's how, you, how that usually works. Uh, it, spoilers for the movie. Two people died. So <laughs> uh, obviously in the game, you can have no one died. Because uh, at the end of the game, uh, there is an ending that shows you that it's still a bad ending because in because if you beat the the game with the all five members alive, they go back home. The guy that gave them the key to access the mansion turns out he's a zombie, and the game just ends there or something like that. <laughs> That's so stupid. What the fuck? Okay. While, in the, while in the movie, it's a happy ending. They just <laughs> basically, oh yeah, there's one character that joins the main character that looks like a vampire hunter. He has like this cowboy hat, this old dude, and he knows about the mansion, but he kind of dies in the movie without giving away who the hell he really is. Okay. Is it possible to get the movie ending from the game if you have the same two people die from the movie in the game? No. Oh. No. Huh. But, it, it, oh. like, how they die in the movie is so odd, too. It's like, randomly, everyone's just acting weird, and all of a sudden, you know, the guy's just kind of combusted for no reason. <laughs> and then... The other girl starts panicking and starts running, and the axe to make that that dude placed there by you know because he said it was heavy, and everyone's like, "Why the fuck are you carrying this axe in this room?" Yeah, I've, I've never watched the movie nor played the. I know that it ex- exists, but I've never watched or played it. Yeah, but anyways, the guy bring an axe because he finally like, "Oh man, I found this really sweet prop in this mansion. This gigantic axe, it's fucking heavy as hell." And okay. everyone's like, "What the hell are you doing?" It's like put put that away. And so, anyways, that girl sees that guy being burnt to death for no reason he's start, like melting and and then he gets cut in half because i don't know for no stupid reason and and this is the part where they talk about in the movies that you gotta stay near the light so the shadows don't kill you or something like that but they never like address how it works and shit like that right so anyway she panics and she runs away and that giant axe falls on her head and she's the second person to die and I, I forgot about the vampire hunter dude, like the guy that looks like a vampire hunter dude. He he also dies. So make that free. 
Okay. But he never joins you in the video game. Uh, he's more like this, like this advisor dude that gives you hints on how to play the game sort of guy. But like, he's not a main playable character in the vi- in the video game. Now you hadn't so, played this game before, right? Hmm? You you had seen the movie but not played the game. I, I played a little bit of the game. I didn't fully play. It. I just watched a let's play playthrough. Oh, okay. It because you know Nintendo games are stupidly hard, right? Might right. As well okay. Just have I, the, I gotcha. Have the fast forward experience, right? Just like Chow to just watch someone else play the game. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, come on, man. I, do you think, okay. Do you, do you think you can create Resident Evil out of just like now you not knowing what you know of the game? Do you like it? Like, can you appreciate Resident Evil a little bit more now? Of like, damn, how the fuck did they make Resident Evil? Out of that, like being inspired from that game, like it has similar concept. They just change it from not an RPG to an action game, sort of, right? Just like, <laughs> I mean, they have this exact same puzzle solving elements. You got it doesn't have Wesker. I mean, I mean, it's not well, enough global saturation, I guess. Uh, the, 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 you don't have those that, that slick live action intro that the mm-hmm. all the sunglasses, dude. I love that live action intro so much. Oh man. But yeah, that's this game in a nutshell. Uh, we do not recommend the movie. And also, like, if anyone watches a movie, the music is so out of place. Like, it's either too intense or it's just doesn't fit the scene at all. Like, in the first part, when the main character gets access to the mansion, they drive this nice Jeep to get to the mansion. And it's like this epic Mario style adventuring music <laughs> going <laughs> to, the house, to the house. It's like, come on, what the hell is this movie? This movie sounds sick. I should watch it. But anyways, that's our Christmas session with my friends. We've been watching nothing but horror movies, and and now we're watching Ikarashi for for New Year's Day. I guess we didn't watch it New Year's Day because we think that you know, in like watching something in New Year's would set up a bad setting for the rest. Okay, of well, year. what has been your favorite thing you've watched so far with them recently? Uh probably just Ikarashi. So uh, are, you, are you just doing it from the beginning, or like, or like one of the newer seasons? We did we did such a weird take on watching it. We basically watched the remake first because we thought the remake had better animation. But after eight, 18 episodes in, we're like, this makes absolutely no fucking sense. Let's just go I watch it. You didn't feel like it was a remake? <laughs> so we're like, it's like this. So we watched 18 episodes in and we're like, this makes no fucking sense. So, okay, let's go so, yeah, watch so, so you watch Go first, which is G-O-U. So you yeah, watch yeah. Go first. Okay, yeah, that's so that's that's good. And then you're, and after 18 episodes of Go, you're like, okay, maybe we should watch the original because yeah. it's clearly not something we can fucking uh, That's so good. It, it basically, halfway in, this all of a sudden, like, these characters are in high school now, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Nothing makes sense now. Let's go back and watch the original. That is so funny. I, I love that, like, you guys didn't realize it was a remake early on. It took you the 18 episodes to be like, oh, huh, that's so good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that's that's our experience. I, then, I don't blame you because they because they were pitching that that go as a remake and then they did a fake out after the first episode. It's like, oh, it's not a remake, but that's only yeah. uh, but it's only obvious to people who like who knew it beforehand. Yeah, it's like like everyone that was already a, like a when they cry fan, like when they saw them say, oh, it's a remake, nobody believed them, and we were right not to believe them. Mm-hmm. That's like, good. That's good. <laughs> But I, I think the original is better in like in a story perspective, because uh, like most <laughs> people agree with you. Most people agree. With yeah, you. they agree because it's also digestible too. Like the, uh, the, the, the it makes sense too. Like early on, 
I mean, they kind of a lot of like information that seems kind of important. I think the remake kind of expects you to know. Right? Yes, because it's not a remake, child. It's a sequel. Yeah, it's but, a they sequel. Sold, but they sold it as a remake. Yes, because it was supposed to be ob- like it was supposed to be obvious after the first episode. But you guys didn't know that. You guys we, were just we like you guys are so. We didn't want to watch the original first because the animation was jank. Jesus Christ, <laughs> like, dude, this is I, so good. Like my favorite part was this guy's face. This un- Onishi, he has this uh-huh. awesome voice. That's like, oh, uh-huh. my breath on. <laughs> like, what the hell is this guy? And his faces is completely different in every frame for each episode. And you're like, oh my god. But anyways, we're we're going back with the original now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations, you got there. Uh, even though, like, probably a lot of plot points have already been spoiled for you through Go. You guys, you guys are champs. Wait, 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 wait. I, I somehow found myself. Like lost in a different podcast, I think. Where am I? <laughs> true. Uh, I, I'm, true. I'm really, I'm really glad whenever we uh, Luke Chow in on his escapades for <laughs> for these things because everything just seems to go off the rails. So I do appreciate it genuinely. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that we revived uh, Zach's old anime podcast for a split <laughs> second there. I'm, uh, I am a couple episodes behind on uh, Gundam Mercury, so I'll be probably catching up on that this weekend. Season so stay tuned tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It, it, I heard the last episode got delayed by two days because no, it, no, the, the the delay was Gundam for Gundam the Gundam Info broadcast. I don't know if it's like affecting Crunchyroll the broadcast as well. As far as I know, it's still airing tomorrow. Okay, it better. <laughs> it's a long way for the season finale. <laughs> well, that covers us for games we've been playing. So obviously, we had the Fire Emblem Engage preview from Adam uh, Chain Deco's. Uh, back and forth between me and Josh, some Harvestella look in, and then of course Chow with Sweet Home plus plus anime. We got One Piece Odyssey releasing soon, but I don't know if anyone here is going to have a look in on that. So we'll either have something on the podcast or up on the site. So we'll stay tuned. And then of course, deep into Fire Emblem Engage uh, as we close out January. Going into the new section of this podcast, we're not going to cover absolutely everything that's been in our wheelhouse since we last podcasted, but I took a look through uh, December and early January at the highlights. So all the things that came out of the Game Awards, I got the uh, the big hitters and put them here. Uh, Falcom had their annual investor meeting with a couple big announcements. Uh, we also have some announcements for some localizations on our end, on the West for that, and a few other things uh, kind of dabbled throughout this section. And we're going to start out with something that, as far as I'm aware is out of left field. I don't know if this was teased. I don't know if anyone was expecting this, but what it is, is a new action RPG from Type Moon, developed by Omega Force, called Fate Samurai Remnant. It is an action RPG with an original setting in feudal Japan based on the Fate series, basically with an alternate telling of the Holy Grail War. So I have only, I can actually speak to this with some small amount of authority. I have seen uh-huh. the original anime. <laughs> I have seen the original anime. I'm so proud of it. I have not played the visual novel. I have not seen Unlimited Blade Works or the, the trio of movies. But I say, oh, Holy Grail War. I know what that is. So uh, unlike, so I, I don't have much knowledge of any of the other Fate um video game adaptations but my understanding is is that this being a completely original setting is quite different and distinct do i have that correct josh yeah because the 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 previous fate console games that people are used to are because like this is developed by omega force and ko shibasawa um so like people are expecting this will be like a uh muso warriors type game and the last ones that we got 
were the Fate Extella series with Fate Extella and Fate Extella Link from the from Marvelous. Um, so they were under under them. Now it's back to Koei Tech, or not back, but it's now at Koei Tecmo with those developers on instead hand. Of it, instead of it being uh, legally distinct uh, warriors, it's uh, full fat warriors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so this is uh, pretty exciting because you know there there a lot of people are already excited. Like a lot of fans are already excited because there's a fan favorite Mus- Musashi Miyamoto uh, is uh, there. So she is from the Fate Grand Order mobile game. Um, uh, and then that she shows up here, and then you outfit, and then people are excited. Like, uh, who else is going to show up at the very like the beginning of the trailer? You have your typical like fate series um, beginning where like this uh, young dude like summons like a servant, which is like you know the the servant is like a historical figure that they summon for the Holy Grail War. So he summons this uh, uh, dude with a sword. We don't know what the the identity swordsman yet, but it's going to be based on a historical figure. So a lot of people are very excited to see, like you know, their favorites to show up in it because there's a lot of like feudal era type of uh, servants that have already been at the Fate Grand Order mobile game. So um, they they have quite a a large selection to choose from if they want to have familiar faces in it. And of course, and new ones as well. So this this uh, announcement came at the very 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 end of the Fate uh, uh, end of year. Uh, special that they do like the fate project end of year live stream that they do in japan like that airs on tv there so this showed up like at the very very end of it like after the credits and everything and no one knew what the what this was at all until they they showed the trailer and that's all we know for now we know that this is coming uh releasing worldwide simultaneously um this is uh, up on the koei tecmo america uh youtube page as well so it's already been announced for localization i i assume it's it's worldwide simultaneous at this point but i don't know 100 sure um but yeah it's it's pretty exciting to see what, how, how this will turn out like you know i'm uh i'm pretty excited you know i'm i'm always looking for these types of games and um yeah it's kind of it's hard it's hard to know what to expect honestly like we don't even know if it's like a warriors type muso style game yet we just know it probably will be because of omega because force, of omega force it, but, yeah yeah but we don't know exactly like what the gameplay looks like uh overall yet so this is a a cool announcement out of nowhere that I'm pretty excited to get my hands on whenever it comes out. Uh, I noticed on our website that we have this slated 2023. Did they actually say 2023? Yes, uh, the, the, uh, it did say 2023 on the trailer. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, so this is something we'll be playing uh, this year. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have obviously the uh, the announcement and the links to the official websites, including the uh, North American and European official websites on our site, as well as the um, the announcement trailer. These next two announcements also came uh, near the end of the year, and these two have not been officially announced uh, for an English release. Uh, This is from Falcoms, I believe, from their annual investor meeting. We have two announcements for the Yeast series. We have kind of the expected announcement for East 10, and then a surprise that was thrown in that I don't think anyone was expecting. So I'll start with East 10. We have an official announcement of East 10 Nordiques. Nordics? I'm not sure which one Nordics. it's going to be. I think Nordics. 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 I guess I'm Canadian now. Um, Have you ever heard of the hockey team? The Quebec yeah. Nordiques before they got sold to become the Colorado Avalanche? I don't know why my brain immediately uh, resulted to um, or defaulted to Nordiques. But anyways, East 10 Nordics is set to release in Japan for PlayStation and Switch uh, in 2023. No announcement of an official localization yet, but we've that's kind of the place we've been at in Falcon. We're expecting it to come uh, come through later. 
and a lot of uh, initial look-ins and screenshots for this game. And the main thing here is that it seems like the combat system has moved away from the party system that was used in E7, 8, and 9, where oh, instead... <laughs> yeah, instead, it looks like a combat system. And I, I, I have not dived into like the social media to see exactly how much detail has gone into here. But it revolves around two characters. There is a solo mode, and then there is a combination mode where you play the two characters simultaneously kind of in a back, back and forth manner. So we had the original uh, key art released a while ago that revealed the second character. Do we have a name for her yet? I don't know if that's been revealed. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. But uh, in a lot of the art and the gameplay for it, these two characters, Adol and this other, uh, this lady, seem like they're chained together in some fashion. So not sure exactly what the story relevance is on that. Um there is, of yeah, course, they're, they're, they're saying it's only two playable characters in this one. So, yeah, that's mm. so it seems like less of like a party based action RPG and more like almost like a character action game only with two characters. And yeah, you can look at the UI. There's like some pips on there. There's a bar. There's a meter. So it seems like there's going to be some sort of like action action game sort of comboing, I'm sure. But yeah, and I know in the announcement, they basically just said it's a very different sort of action game RPG combat gameplay system i'm really excited so, to see this in motion also what's really cool is this is eight all is 17 years old in this entry and it's 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 the events this the, the, the east timeline this takes place right after east one and two yeah so it's before oh, so i didn't i didn't realize this was a young young adult yeah it's 17 year old adult uh, uh, adel exploring a north pole anytime soon <laughs> That has to be the last one because he has to disappear and become Santa Claus. True. <laughs> uh, there's also a fun thing here where it seems like there's a mode where he can pilot his own ship, like a sailing ship, which of course uh -oh. is, uh, you know, yeah, you know, series. Alan ships really good. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah nothing will Back go wrong. In heaven. Yeah, so uh, you can explore the sea using nautical charts while engaging in naval warfare with enemy ships. Uh, so. Yeah, there's okay. a, there's a... this is only after East One. He doesn't know it's a pattern yet. Yeah, so this maybe this maybe this is where uh, where he gets cursed to never be able to. Apparently, like the ship. ship is also like your base as well, so you can build like build your base on the ship, which is interesting. Which we've um, kind of seen uh, East Eight and Nine kind of have that base building mechanics. So I wouldn't be surprised. I know they're trying to break from the mold here a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see a few similar echoes of building up your ship and recruiting a crew and things like that yeah um the, the, there's also like a very like first details like they're regarding leading out terminology of like the battle system like they'll be like you know uh, uh like uh defense has like weight to it and then uh guarding builds up something called like the revenge gauge which would like you know increase your attack um and also like there's like these uh actions called like mana actions um and then like, i don't uh, think they detailed at all at all and then what and i think then they literally said i think they literally said there's also mana actions but we will detail these later like okay and, 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 yeah then i one of the screenshots has like a grappling hook uh, for it all as well so, so you're and, and, and then one of the one of the screenshots has like the the new heroine like 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 air, surfing in the air kind of like eureka 7 <laughs> which is like mm -hmm. kind of neat it almost looks like, like some sort of exploration gimmick it actually reminded me of tales of bizaria you got the little yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. I was thinking of Star Ocean 6, like instead of just Duma jetpacking, you just ride your hoverboard. Just ride Duma like a skateboard mm -hmm. in the air. But yeah, I mean, this this is awesome. You know, a breath of fresh air for East is what I just really needed for 
uh, a good amount of years now. So I'm really, really curious to see how this looks in motion, how it plays. Uh, like the like everything they've been si- saying about this is like, all right, I'm interested. Definitely show me more. And then Falcom did have another announcement that was a bit of a surprise. This is a, a big get for, for classic East fans. And that is a remaster of East the Oath in Felgana called East Memoir. The Oath in Felgana will release on Nintendo Switch spring of this year in 2023 in Japan. Again, both of these announcements have not been officially announced uh, in English or for an English release. So this remaster of East Oath in Felgana, which if you're not aware, is kind of the quote unquote canon version of East 3, um, will have improved sound effects and HD visuals. It'll have uh, redone portraits that you can toggle between. It'll also have a toggleable soundtrack between the original version, uh, the PC uh, 8801 version, and then I don't know what this is, X68000 version. Uh, what are these that's versions? A, that's, that's a very uh, powerful PC back in the day. A lot of uh, Capcom games are ported using that PC. A, a quick note on that. those That soundtrack toggle was actually added to the Steam version you can get right now. Yeah. So that's kind of not actually new <laughs> for us anyway. The biggest so, new part is Adel talks again. Because he yeah, talks no, the original was, PC. The wording was a little confusing. Version. Like they said they gave Adel a voice, but like did they give him dialogue? <laughs> I mean, he talks in the original PC engine version. And if yeah. you play the remake from Taito, he's actually like fully voiced by... Uh, what's but the did they add like dialogue for him in Oath and Falgana? Because he doesn't have no, dialogue. they would have to add dialogue for him. I mean, he has a voice now, but is it just I, like I was saying, yes. that's like a battle cries or rants or, or right, or whatever. exactly. Yeah. Oh man, so he has a voice. I, I he talk because he, he, he sounds it. pretty intelligent when I was playing, you know, the games from back then. So, oh man, does everyone hate talkable Adel? I don't know. Talking Adel, I kind of wish, like wish they would do it. Either go have him a fully talk, like a full character, or not talk at all. I kind of hate where it's just like he says like a line very randomly here or there. Just kind of. I, like I don't have... want the narration to talk for him. Right. It's like Adel says that he's gonna book a room. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that either. I, I kind of just I like the like standard side of Yeah, I kind of like the standard side of protagonist, which is like don't give him like like uh, dialogue, but like if it's like just battle cries or pips here and there, that's fine. But like I don't want I don't want narrator talking for him, or if it's like if it's like if he's gonna talk, it's like uh just like the less I have to hear Bryce Patenbrook, the better. Oh wait, <laughs> I could just say Japanese. Man. Uh I mean he got Aaron's voice in uh from Attack of mm. Titan. He played Japanese. He's the mm. wait, do they have the same guy in Jap- in English too? I don't know. I, is it Yuki what's his face? Yuki Yuki Kagi? Kagi? Yeah. Yeah. Is that Aaron oh, also? Apparently he's the official. Yeah, that's Aaron. Oh, yeah, Aaron also. Sometimes you'll run into that where like an English voice actor and a Japanese voice actor, like the, the English voice actor oftentimes does like the dub for that same Japanese voice actor. So, well, because yeah. they're... Well, because they would be expected to play similar characters. So that exactly. Makes sense. Well, the only other thing that I, the key thing that I missed here was that there was also a high speed mode where you can have battle and field movement sped. Yeah, that's weird. Like, do you need a high speed mode for? Oh my god, it's already like really yeah, pretty speedy. It's already really fast. <laughs> Wouldn't that get you? <laughs> I mean, you can zoom through like dialogue, I guess. Faster, I know, but, but you're yeah. like playing in combat when there's like that's a so funny. Oh, that Falgana speedruns are about to go fucking ham, dude. Well. You know, actually thinking about it, Nayuta has the same fucking thing on PC. Oh, really? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. That's funny. It, that, that's really... I, I would never think of, like, to give a high-speed mode to Ozenfall God. That's, like, the, the not, not a title I would think of. 
What do we think about this being um, Nintendo Switch exclusive? Um, it just seems kind of interesting. Well, Falcom outright said as much that they wanted to uh, use Switch as an excuse to uh, re-release like digital versions of their older games. Yeah. I think this is digital only. So it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, sure. I mean, like, Ultimate Falcon is a fucking good game. So, uh, you know, if it reaches more people through this, sure. You know? Maybe it'll, maybe it'll go like the the East Origin route, where it just sort of like slowly percolates to all the other platforms. Yeah, yeah. 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 People de- people deserve to play a non party based East game. Yeah, I, I kind of feel bad for Origin. It got like the most lackluster like revisions of the game. It's just like a straight up PC port. Or a port. East Origin's a really good game still. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's my favorite of the uh, Napish Dimension games, but mm-hmm. uh, I understand that not a lot of people feel that way. I, I think it's actually my favorite. Do. I prefer it over Oath, but it took a while to grow on me. It's like yeah. when I first play it, I, I prefer Oath, but you know. I don't think Oath actually gets much from the kind of not really Metroidvania aspect, the exploration aspect of like the world itself. And I kind of feel the same way about uh, Arkham Nashbishtem. Like the whole, like that game instantly, like got like like went up at least like a point and a half with the xc changes where it's like you can just teleport to any save point yeah because because before it was brutal because it's Mm -hmm. like okay now go to the other end of the island that's gonna take you like 15 20 minutes to get there fuck that (laughs) (laughs) and then the other falcom related announcement that came uh later in the month is that we got an official release date. This is from the uh, Nice America for the official localization in the West. We got a release date for Trails into Reverie. It will launch next, or sorry, I keep saying next year, this year, 2023, uh, on July 7th for PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, and PC. And then we got a, a story trailer accompanying the announcement. So cool to finally have a date for it. Um, I'm glad that I... uh, uh, from the fan base, it seems like a lot of people have a lot of opinions on what they called the route. Yeah, I was gonna Um, bring that up. So, what was uh, it called again? I already forgot. They they shoehorned the word trails into it somehow. Yeah, basically, the the way it was called in Japanese was literally was like just cross story or something like that, which makes sense to me. Yeah, I it, I guess they wanted to be cute with changing it. it, it doesn't matter. Like, People yeah, making a big deal about yeah. it. It really doesn't matter. Especially it doesn't matter. It's just it's like when you see it, it's like it's like if you already knew it, it had like an original English name, the like it changed a cross story into Trails to Walk. <laughs> you know? It's just like I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, well, okay. I it's weird, but it's at least it's not like the fucking Ease 8 thing where it was like originally it was like crevice of the Archaeozoic area. Yeah, I mean, it's just better for sure. I mean, it's better for being abysmal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what I want to say is I can understand like if, if this was the only thing people were getting up in arms about, it would be like, OK, yeah, it's a weird change. It still doesn't matter, but I can understand why it's like, why'd you change it? But people were getting up in arms about what they changed uh, Valiant Rage to. Oh, yeah. What was it again? I forgot. I, I, I forgot, but it's like, I remember, I think it was like Unified Front or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, oh, funny. considering what Valiant Rage, like, the actual, like, mechanic is, Unified Front, it's like, that makes sense. I I'm going to be honest. I don't know what this is, and, like, without context, I don't know if I could guess what Valiant Rage is. It sounds like an attack. 
It is. Well, it's kind of like a an attack slash buff. Basically, your entire party, including people that are in like reserve and like your guest character, all work in unison. So that's why I think like United Front again, if that is the actual name, I think it is. That makes um, sense. It makes yeah, without sense. without context, I think United Front seems to make more sense to me. Like just if you if you told me should this be called United Front or Valiant Rage, I'd be like uh, United Front seems to make more sense. But no, I mean, it's just it's just like one of those weird things. It's like ah, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> no. I I think it's just I think it's one of those like weird disconnects. It's like yeah, like. They already had an English name before, you know. It's like uh, to me, it's just like it's just like the, the extra, the extra step to like relocalize something that was already like in English, you know. Before it doesn't really matter uh, at, at the at the bigger picture, obviously. But yeah. it's just like you know, it, it, it was legible before. It's like it's kind of relegible again, I guess. Yeah. There was um, one other Falcom sort of related announcement. Recently. Oh, did I miss one? Uh, anime uh, guys. Well, there was the anime that started. I, wa- I watched the first uh, episode yesterday. Let's go the Cold Steel. That's not what I was referring to. They, <laughs> How did Leopard Entertainment announce the PC port for Kuro 2? Oh, yeah. That means That's... that'll be able... You'll probably be able to buy it. It won't be in English until someone... Yeah. In a, well... Like, an Excel script or whatever. But It's going to be It's gonna be worse than the uh, Kuro spreadsheet because uh, I've already seen people say, oh, just uh, machine translated. And it's like... Let's uh, go! <laughs> Oh my god, that's funny. Just machine translate it. Um, it'll you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm going to play Kuro 2 this year. Probably uh Well, I don't know exactly when. It's not I'm like hoping, I'm in a rush. I'm hoping, since I'm hoping like after I'm hoping like after February, just publishers are just like, we're not gonna release a game until June. <laughs> That'd be awesome. is that March is filled with games too. Yeah, March is all, does have a lot. It's what well, uh, long. Well, look, there's no games right now. You better like just do what you can right now because there's no games right now. One piece but is the, in the game. But the problem is, is I have games I have to cover. Well, don't, don't cover them then. Don't cover. Them. <laughs> just don't cover them. <laughs> also, the uh, 14 patches uh, early Massive. next week. Have you ever read those patches? Those are massive. What is going on? Every Endwalker patch has been massive. They've been doing really well about that. I was like scrolling, scrolling. It's like, hey, this never seems to end. Now, one thing I wish they uh, didn't patch was they're getting rid of the Paladin dots. How dare them? The How what? dare them? Uh, the what? So uh, it, it's 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 only something you really care about if you're really into 14. Uh, uh, let's just leave it there. That, that right. might end our entire rating scene because our paladin, uh, she's very hardcore to paladin. She gets like 90 parses. And, you know, now you have to relearn the entire rotation. You know, this can span a raid group. They're doing a complete rebalancing of paladin because it was the interesting tank, but also because the way it was interesting meant that it was a sustained DPS versus like a two minute burst DPS. Where very explicitly with um and well starting in Shadowbringers, but moving into Endwalker, they've wanted to change it so that every class kind of bursts at around two minutes for a, a DPS. And because fights are now being designed with that in mind, they were like, well, Paladin's, uh, it's really hard to balance it. So even if people like the way Paladin plays now, we're going to have to change it. Which sucks because the entire like rotation for Paladin was based around like constantly juggling your dots. Like it, it was like a really like 
long like uh, flow of okay, where do you put your goring blade in? When do you do your uh, other one, two, three? And then like when do you overwrite the uh, the dots? Because like your like your burst damage with the configure combo would end up with uh, applying a different dot, which would overwrite the goring blade and vice versa. So there was a lot of considerations depending on the fight of when you would want to apply dots and when you wouldn't want to. And a lot of people like that, myself included, even if I did not play Paladin uh, for uh, Prague. But it's. I understand why they're doing it, but especially recently, a lot of people have kind of like. Put like the whole idea of the two minute burst thing under the microscope and have been like, you know what, I, I understand why you were trying to do this, but. In practice, it doesn't work out the way you thought it would. Maybe you should reconsider it. I hope Yoshida doesn't do any F16 balance patches uh, when we find fun stuff in that game. <laughs> well, the next set of headlines here that we have are from the Game Awards. So a lot of these were just... Uh, or when was that? Like December 9th, 10th? Is Armored Core 6 RPG? Uh, I don't have it covered here, but yeah, that was probably the biggest takeaway for a few of us on the site. Uh, it's not, so, but I'll, I'll, I, I, I can argue that it's RPG. Don't worry. My, fa because... my favorite outcome from that was people cheekily being like, oh, so you're into Armored Core? Let me show you all of the places that you can play the Armored Core series if yeah. you want to catch up. <laughs> and it's like, like, is it available on PS4, Xbox One, or newer, or Switch, or PC? And it's like, no, 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 yes, nothing. Right. Be honest, <laughs> when, you, when you first said where to play Armored Core, the first thing that came to my head are the PS1 and PS2 games. Oh, yeah. yeah. Play those consoles. There you go. Discs. Yeah. yeah just just hook up your PS2 and PS3 and play uh, For Answer and have a good time. For Answer is probably the best of like the HD era. So, so far, I mean. Yeah for, yeah, for a lot of people, yeah, it's the, I think the most fast paced one. There, there is some merit to like the Armored Core 5 and 5 Verdict Day type stuff. That mm -hmm. they, yeah, there's interesting stuff there too. Okay. I, mm -hmm. Like, I, I think like Armored Core is like a series that's like defined by like era, right? Like, like, like there's different, like PS1 era type style Armored Core is very different from PS2 uh, era. And even, even PS3 era, like 4 and then 5 are very each other. It's very, there's like no consistent thing, thing about Armored Core except customizing mechs. To like go beat missions. That's like the only gameplay thing that they all share in common, but the way they play are all very different depending mm. on console and platform and all that stuff. Which is which is nice and neat. I like it. Uh so and no yeah, in no particular <laughs> order for the announcements from uh, the game awards. Uh, the first thing I have listed here, I'm going to miss George's uh, contributions on our podcast from a few years back, but we have a announcement for Hades 2 from Supergiant Games, which is coming to early access this year in 2023. So, of course, Hades, kind of RPG-adjacent title, but obviously one that was incredibly well-regarded. This is Supergiant's first direct sequel to any of their games. So we got a new trailer, and it features the, uh, the different protagonist um, as... Melanoe, who I don't know my Greek or Roman history well enough to have like recognized that name, but I guess I didn't really know Zagreus either. But uh, I, I have not kind played... of purposely pick mythological characters that aren't like Hercules or whatever, you know, right? Because they don't want to have it's like, well, I want to compare this rendition of this character that has been interpreted so many different ways to Disney or something like that. It's some someone that's a little bit more uh, obscure, but. Uh, I've not played Hades. I know you have, Adam. I don't know if you, this is anything exciting about this that you can pull out of the trailer, or just glad that you're that they're you're getting more Hades. 
I mean, Hades is a really good game. It's one of those things where it's just like, is this just going to be more of it? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a big different. question. Like, I, I loved Hades to death. Like, I, I did the the playthroughs for, like, the true ending and all that stuff. So it's really, I, I'm very fond of Hades. But I, I am I am with you that, like, I, I, I wonder what a Super Giant game's, like, direct sequel looks like from, like, a... Like how do they approach direct sequels? Because this is their first, you know, one to their property. The trailer kind of looked almost like identical to the first with, you know, just new characters. Like you had like the the god, the god, you know, random roguelike power ups and things. The same type of gameplay. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, saying, does, the, it does the inverse. The I'm not yeah. saying it's going to be the same. It just looks similar. Yeah, so, it, it does the inverse where you're like that. You're not trying to escape. You're you're going deeper down oh, from this exactly. one. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, also, for what it's worth, Melanoe is Zagreus's sister. I know some people were confused. Like, is it his daughter? Is it someone else? No, they're they're siblings. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm sure I'm sure the you know Super Giant will find ways to like make it distinct and different and not just like you know the uh, reskin of Hades one. Like, if anything, like I think the Super Giant games is um they've proven themselves. They have a really really great tracker. They've proven themselves to like you know uh, really change up the you know what they want to do from uh, their titles from t- title to title. They're just they're just very good at um, kind of innovating upon themselves and finding new gameplay experiences. You know that not, like not many other games do. You know, like when you think about Pyre, who the fuck like I can't think of another game that's like Pyre besides like it's, the progression is kind of like Oregon Trails, but Oregon Trail, but like the way you play it, not really like anything else. You know, um, when you I think, think about- the problem, I've no, I have not played Pyre. Everyone I know who has played Pyre mm-hmm. says it's excellent, and some people even like it more than Hades. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the problem is is everyone has played Pyre. It's hard to describe what it is. Yes, absolutely. So. It's it's kind of like it's kinda, because they'll, they'll say it's it's kind of like an organ show, but then when you get into like combat, it's kind of like a sports game. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like, but you have like a kind of like RPG esque options during that. It's like okay, well, you just have to play it for yourself to kind of like get a feel for it because it's so it's so it's so difficult to explain, you know. But you think about like uh, games like Transistor. Like I really like Transistor uh, from them, and and like that's you know like. Like, you know, other games have done similarly, but not, like, quite in the same vein as them. So, I th- I think, you know, we'll wait and see. It's kind of... The only thing I'm really bummed out about is they're doing the... I, I understand, but they're doing the Hades 1 approach of the early access, and they'll build upon it, like, you know, throughout the year. So, for me, like, I didn't really get into Hades 1 until, like, full release. So, you know, I'll have well, to kind of, like, block it out again until full release. Well, at least it won't be uh, exclusive to Epic Games for, like, a year. True. This time. true. Very true. This next one is one that I'll have to hand it back off to Adam again. Uh, one of the f- almost forgotten games of last year that we talked about so briefly on the end of the year podcast was Horizon Forbidden West. Um, obviously an excellent game by all regards, but just something that just seems to have not really penetrated in terms of our interest here. I think Adam has played it and that's it. Adam, you were pretty comprehensive about Forbidden West when you played it last year. Do you have any interest in the Burning Shores expansion, which is launching in April uh, as a PS5 exclusive expansion to Horizon Forbidden West? I'm just going to, I'm going in with the expectation that it's kind of like the Frozen Wilds expansion to Zero Dawn, where it's just kind of like a new area, slightly bigger than maybe an area in the game already with maybe a slightly more in-depth storyline. You know, it's pro- it's 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 really kind of like an old schools type of expansion, where it's just like it's just more of the game with kind of like its own separated like storyline. Uh, that obviously it can't really 
being a sort of a DLC, I, it, it's going to only majorly affect like the main narrative in only slight ways. Like, I, I doubt this is going to be like required reading for the next game or whatever. Um, but you know, it's just kind of just like more. And I thought Zero Dawn or not Zero Dawn. Well, I, both games I think are pretty good. You know, they they have that open world, all the trappings of open world games, like it or not. Um, but you know, I'll play it, but. I don't think it's going to be much more than just kind of more for people who want more. It's been uh, long it, enough it, since uh, Forbidden West came out that I'm just going to wait for the inevitable PC port at this point. Yeah, yeah. the complete edition. Yeah. Um, I think it's weird that this is a PS5 exclusive. Like, I can I can imagine, like, you know, I imagine it'll be doing a lot of, like, crazy tech stuff under the hood that would make, you know, the PS4, a PS4 version very hard to run. Like, because I know they have added a lot of ambition. probably had to cut back on some of that ambition to ship it on ps4 but i really wonder how what what the sales figures look like i guess for this kind of because one it's already an expansion so it'll like inevitably sell less than the base product because that's kind of like the barrier to entry so like not everyone who played to buy the bought the base game will play the expansion but now you have like the additional uh entryways or body on bottle that's like this is only exclusive to uh like uh a current gen console that's like still, you know, relatively like difficult to get your hands on. Um, I mean, most recent, like they find, I'd say like in the last like month, that's kind of changed. Okay. And also like they just announced uh, yesterday, actually, that they've sold 30 million uh, PS5s. Yeah, they, they, they started sold 30 million PS, uh, PS5s. How many of those are uh, Horizon Forbidden West PS5 version? And how many of those will buy a PS5 exclusive expansion pass? to Horizon Forbidden West on PS5, <laughs> you know? So the just thing like, is, though, is that, like, the PS4 version of Horizon came with the PS5 version, and it has cross-save, so it's, like, anyone that's upgraded to PS5 since, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it doesn't limit the audience as much as you're maybe making I don't it know. I, 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 maybe, maybe I'm just still underestimating, like, the, the install base of the PS5 uh, at this rate compared to the PS4, you know? And then the, there's a ton Horizon you know, fan base and like, I'm just I'm just thinking about like I wonder if like compared to like how much will this actually sell being a PS5 exclusive uh, expansion and and, and plus the, uh, there'll be inevitably people who buy this and say why isn't my PS4 running this expansion? You know, yeah. I'm with James. I'll probably like I played through the PC version of um zero dawn because that that was back when like sony was on pc was novel and new and now it's been a few years and so now it feels like you can go to the steam page and see god of war and horizon and uh days gone and all those things uh so it's not so the fact that it doesn't have that novelty anymore i'm like am i am i, am I that interested in playing forbidden west i think the answer is honestly no it just didn't grab me i'd almost be playing it out of obligation or because it's pretty I still, I'm still in this weird phase of like the the current gen consoles that I feel like I feel like the current gen really hasn't quote unquote started like it did, because there's still there's still few few games that are like so designed just for like these consoles. There's, there's like, only two proper PS5 exclusives once Returnal's PC version comes out. Yeah. I'm not counting Demon Souls remake because that's yeah. literally running on the P- PS3 version's code base. Yeah, um, it's literally just Astrobot and ratchet and clank that's it it's like what like it's so what about, weird what about Ragn- is ragnarok on ps4 PS, it's yes, on ps4 it's, i didn't PS4. know that yeah and gran turismo yeah. uh ps4 so 
<clears throat> you know, um, I mean, with FF6, FF16 coming this yeah, year, that, that be, is going to be yes, well, first spoken. Well, first spoken oh, is also going to be on PC. Yeah, yeah, that, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give for well, I guess both Returnal and First Spoken, I'll give a pass because First Spoken's all, like the whole thing is like, oh, you need direct storage or something like that. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here a little bit like mouth agape, like this is the first time we brought up First Spoken this podcast, and it's coming out a few days after Final Living Gage. Like, oh, First Spoken. Yeah, uh, a, demo, a demo came out for that. I, I've been too busy with life to like kind of. Give it a roll. I don't know if anyone else uh, decided to download and try Buddy to demo. Mine streamed the demo and he seemed to like it. I just uh, haven't bothered to download it because it's like uh, if I'm going to play it, it's going to be on PC. And I'm not sure if that's going to be representative of the experience and what. Yeah, I, I kind of like skimmed like the performance analysis of like how for the Forspoken demo runs on PS5. I'm like, I don't know if I want to run this on PS5 if I'm going to if I'm going to play it. <laughs> that's a, that's so yeah. It's neat and, how uh, it's using like FSR because I remember like people weren't sure if the uh, PS5 would do FSR too because it mm-hmm. was like yeah so yeah so it, it, it handles that interesting interesting yeah uh, one of the other things that we kind of brought this up a few times already but I'll just call it out here because I have it listed here uh, we got the release date for uh, Final Fantasy 16 coming out on June 22nd we already talked about that but alongside we got um, another trailer for it the uh, revenge trailer and I never remember what they title these different trailers but uh, again we've had over the last few months of 2022 we got a, a lot of look-ins on Final Fantasy 16 and I'm pretty sure uh, we've got the entire list of dominance and icons and I know Alex has done really well in updating our little character bio um dossier collection article so all the different dominants that we know of and all the different kingdoms that have all been kind of detailed out in all these different trailers uh i'm at the point though where i've seen enough i'm convinced it's going to be uh an interesting experience hopefully promisingly it looks promising so hopefully it'll be really good and kind of return to form for mainline final fantasy but i'm super excited i it's like it looks great the only thing I'm kind of like upset about is it's like we know it's eventually coming to PC, but it's going to be like six months later at the earliest. So it's like, well, I guess I'll just rebuy it when it comes on PC. Yeah, I, I, launch. I, I sure hope it has like a 60 FPS mode, if not just 60 FPS. It'll definitely uh, be oh, yeah. 60 FPS. It's like it, the whole shtick is it's like very clearly like character action. Combat. Yeah, that's the thing. That's all, the only footage you've seen so far is not hasn't been at that frame rate. So just like, please. Please, I would love to I'm, play this game. I'm on the trailer on YouTube, and there's this comment that I actually do like really feel like finally they showed the character just running around the world without combat. And I kind yeah. of agree, like, just just show me traversal, just show me how you move from one place to the like, other out of a cutscene, out of a CG, out of a combat, flashy shit. Just show me the character moving. <laughs> one of the things I really appreciate is how one of the party members is a dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I respect that. And then a game that I've been interested in for a while, We uh, it was originally supposed to go into closed beta in 2022, but that didn't happen. That's Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. Uh, we learned in December that the closed beta test was delayed to summer of 2023. Uh, and alongside of that, we got a, a new trailer for it, basically showing footage from Ever Crisis's rendition of Final Fantasy VII and then Ever Crisis's like, interpretation of the events of Crisis Core, which, of course, just had the big remaster also released in December. Um, this is the winter 2022 trailer. I like how for Final Fantasy 16, we get a, a fancy name for Forever Crisis. It's just winter 2022. 
Um, this trailer, the first like 85% of it is kind of what you expect. It's like a compilation of events from Final Fantasy VII and Crisis Core and both the uh, kind of the chibi-esque gameplay and then the Final Fantasy VII remake like combat footage. But then, of course, in Square Enix fashion, towards the end of the game, it gets a bit different. And the main stinger of this trailer here is that it shows the classic scene of Sephiroth standing in the fires of Nibelheim, only he's wearing a different outfit and his hair is really short. He looks like a Kingdom Hearts character now. And based on the tagline of Ever Crisis being another possibility for a remake, it's like, oh God, what are they doing? I don't know. <laughs> Look, at least at the very least, they're there's like uh, kind of almost quarantining all all this fucking weird multiverse shit, like in in the mobile gotcha game. <laughs> well, well it's down in less than a year. Yeah, more on that, that uh, later. It, it's, but... it's, it's kind of weird, like because it's like it's a big delay too, because they they were planning to close beta tests in winter twenty twenty two, and then like it got delayed all the way back to summer twenty twenty three. So clearly, something happened in development to really push well, it back. It, it's kind of fun yeah. the way they do this because near the end of the trailer, they start showing like Zach and Aerith in different outfits. Like, oh, okay, cosmetics, you'll roll for them in different outfits, whatever. I wonder and if then it goes come and... out. I wonder if it'll come out in a couple of months that uh, Yuji Naka was insider trading on this too. Let's go. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Fucking Naka, I, I hate that that's only half a joke. It's possible. <laughs> I know. You're, you're, you're totally right. Because it's like, well, it's one of those is like, no, I can see it. You know, it's not, you know, maybe, maybe. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I, I do want to play Crisis Core again, the remake, just so I can uh, remind myself exactly what happens there. Like, I obviously, I remember yeah, the, me the, too. the high level, but not like in this ever crisis trailer, Zach runs into Ifrit in like a forest. I'm like, wait, does that happen? I don't goddamn remember. <laughs> it's kind of like amusing because the, there's a PC mod now for the Crisis Core remake that like re implements the original voices from the PSV version. Yeah. I will now mm-hmm. buy your game. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, and I'll skip ahead to this one because it is a related and Chow teased it. Um, I remember a year ago or so we were talking about the newest mobile entry in the Bravely Default, Bravely Default series, Bravely Default Brilliant Lights. Um, it was a Japanese only mobile game that kind of shockingly used the same art style as Bravely Default 2, even though I don't think that art style was super well received. Uh, we never got an official localization, but we now don't, don't need to worry about that because Bravely Default Brilliant Lights will be ending service on February 28th. Uh, it looks like that was, it originally released in January of 2022. So just, it's like 13 months for Bravely Default's most recent mobile outing and remained in Japan for its whole life. No, I mean, I, I never really heard talk about that game. At the very least, this game will be able to like end off on like a conclusive note. They do plan to release the final chapter, the main story, uh, before mm-hmm. the game uh, service ends. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be like you know, no, and then there there also be a, like an offline version uh, for people who like play this game, so they can like go look back on like characters and stories that they got. You know, the more mm-hmm. the more like Square Enix, not just mobile games, but also just like. I guess games as a service in general that get like shuttered early. The more I realize the only reason why saga, like romancing saga reun- reuniverse is still going strong in the West is because they're just using that as a constant marketing tool for their like, like steady stream of saga re-releases. That's the mm. only reason. Pretty much. I mean, like, yeah, like it, I hear it's actually like it does decently in Asia. So like they're, they're really like, they have a steady flow to it. Like they, 
They're so they're somehow making it work. I have no idea how, but they're somehow making it work. I remember collage like, vision. I remember when I was just like uh, like shot point blank with that random thing. It's like, hey, do you want to cover this uh, romancing saga thing? It's like, well, I I don't know if this will still be around in a year. And now it's been like two and a half years later. It's like, well, I I I'll eat crow here. I'm very happy that it's still going because it's like. It, it is a fun gotcha from what I played. So. It's like, I kneel Kawazu. You got it all figured out. I'm fucking wrong. And even if it shuttered now, it, it, it would at least have had a decent run. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. According to that uh, spreadsheet that Josh sent me, it's like, it's still making bank and everything yeah. else is failing. For some odd yeah. reason, I, I would think that near reincarnation would make more money, but it looks like that is tanking, dude. So, I don't know, like the, the well, fucking people near, who are running runs to run side are like geniuses. Near reincarnation is still probably going to last a bit longer because uh, apparent, like you saw that minion that's coming to fourteen, right? Oh yeah, the one that looks like Mama from yeah. reincarnation. Yeah, yeah. So a little bit more, but yeah, I, I don't know. I have no idea of how like. What the future prospects of li- of that are like versus like Saga Reuniverse? Like Reuniverse just feels like it got it's got it figured out for like for a good while. It probably is a lot easier for them to uh, keep that up kept because it's reusing a bunch of sprites. So I mean, low cost, highly profitable. Wow, mm-hmm. at least it's not like uh, wow. What was that mm-hmm. Echoes of Mana? I think that's dude. Echoes of Mana's, yeah, that's spreadsheet. Like, dude, it is that that thing is getting shuttered this year. I'd be surprised if Echoes of Mana is still up by the end of the year. I'd be fucking shocked. There's no way that thing is staying alive soon, like that for that long. Yeah, people must hate us for, for cursing every gotcha game out there. You know what? Gotcha games deserve it. As someone who has played gotcha games and still plays Princess Connect uh, daily. Uh, they, they these gotcha games don't deserve anything anymore. <laughs> gotcha games don't deserve rights, <laughs> and and a sort of kind of related news. I kind of reshuffled some of the remaining topics here so that we kind of stay on this Square Enix related kick. Um, one of the early releases from last year that was kind of in a very similar boat was Chocobo GP, which was the uh Chocobo. Square Enix Chocobo series themed kart racer that was almost inexplicably released as a games as a service title. So it had, I remember even when it released, it had characters that were exclusive to the battle pass. And I don't even remember it was cloud and squall and you had to do one thing, one thing, one way to get one of them and you had to pay money to get the other. I don't even remember the details. It just recently had its fifth season of battle pass related unlocks which I have not kept up to date on all of what those were. Hey, and, I love battle passes. Uh, yeah, or, it's, or they don't call it racer pass or whatever they yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But it's effectively the same thing. Yeah. yeah, and uh, they have announced that the, um, the premium currency is going to be discontinued. The newest content that was in Season 5 will be the last. Uh, and now buy your basic- game. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I still buy Chocobo GP. <laughs> I'm joking, but it's like I remember like before all that shit about it being like oh, Battle Pass seasons and all that yeah. came out. People were excited for it, and then it came out, and it's like this is not what I want. <laughs> okay, Brian, t- tell me the name of the premium currency that's in uh, a Chocobo GP. Mithril something? Or just Mithril. Okay, just, okay. Uh, do you want to know what the name of the premium currency is in uh, Bravely Default Brilliant Lights? Mithril. Yep. Is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently, don't name your premium currency Mithril. Very good, Square Enix. Um, or, or don't publish your uh, 
games as a service uh, by uh, Square Enix. FF16 reveals that has battle passes and dailies. <laughs> yeah. What so happens? now I guess. So now I guess most gen generously, Chocobo GP is just a Chocobo slash Final Fantasy themed kart racer. Only it'll have like the vestiges. It should have been. Of, yeah, it should have been that from day one. <laughs> but it'll have the vestiges of like you have to get Fuck. tickets and stuff. Whoa. It seems to or I, uh, they have some interesting language here where they're just like, um, or was this may become? Let's see. Uh, items originally sold in the Mithril Shop exclusive to season one may also be put back on sale with some exceptions. So it's like, uh, <laughs> they're just kind of keep the door open where it's like, oh, yeah, no. uh, you might not be able to get everything. Maybe. You know what would break my heart if they announced uh, this late late on that the this certain game has a battle pass or dailies or logins or whatever? You know what game would really break my heart if they announced that for, for uh, that game? Armored them. Theatre them final I, I, can I can accept it for theatre them. I think it doesn't. I don't want. I, I don't want. I, I don't want any service things for final bar line. I don't want to be like. I gotta go log in and do my dailies. I, I don't want. I don't want. I don't want any battle passes. I don't. Please just keep it to the season pass thing to add more songs and that's it. I don't want to fucking unlock shit by playing it for like ten billion hours to reach a certain battle pass level to unlock. Yuffie's hair down outfit or skin or whatever. In happier news, still on the Square Enix front, uh, we this is something that we were kind of expecting throughout the entirety of 2022. So 2022, we got the last release for the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series. Uh, that was Final Fantasy VI in February. And throughout the entire time and throughout a couple of Nintendo Directs, we never got the announcement of that series coming off of PC and mobile. However, on uh, mid-December, on December 17th or 18th, Square Enix finally announced that the Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters will launch for PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch sometime in spring 2023. So we were expecting this. Finally, it's happening. Don't have any other details other than spring. Um, they will launch digitally. They'll be able to be purchased individually or in a bundle. Um, there will also be a limited physical edition available uh, at the same time, so you can get a physical edition hearing, for either PS. This now it's probably sold out. It is, all, it no. is already sold out, <laughs> unless the Japanese right. uh, version will also have English. But uh, uh, people seem to be hoping that because they delisted the uh, screenshots that they're fixing the font. I'm sorry, folks. They've done multiple updates to the game on PC and mobile since launch, and they haven't fixed that font yet. I we, do can, not we, think. we cannot say this as people who write on RPG site because uh, Alex is the one who published an article saying no, they they definitely are because he's because he's uh, yeah. So this uh, is uh, a little told, bit of, uh, he's heard from people internally that they're fixing I, so it. I I hope this is, he's right. <laughs> yeah. This, so this is us being completely honest. So Alex wrote up a article following this announcement of the ports for the Pixel Remaster saying, uh, furthermore, via multiple confidential sources, RPG site understands that the console release of the Pixel Remasters will feature an adjusted font. None of us here uh, have heard that. We people don't know who shit. write for RPG site, uh, <laughs> we, we, are, we are obligated to say they will most likely fix it based on uh, what our boss uh, wrote up <laughs> as uh, people who uh, as people who uh, exist on the internet and um, are just you know play rpgs we do not know if they those uh if that report oh, yeah. is like true or not for real yeah, yeah. as the rpg <laughs> site writer yeah we've got sources as me myself and i what 
Uh, but uh, uh, I guess stay tuned. Yeah, we are we're terrible employees. <laughs> Alex will never listen to this. It's okay. Look, all I'm saying is, is I know that he said that like they were tr- like the English side was trying to get that fixed as far back as the first release on PC. So I. I don't know. I, I mean, as, as much as we kind of were taking the piss there, I mean, I hope he's right. I yeah, I mean, I would love so. for him to be right because that because that fucking current font that they had, the default font, is fucking unusable on like big ass TVs and even mm-hmm. like on Switch handheld. You know, people are gonna be like, "What the fuck am I reading?" Uh, well, we'll find out sooner or later. <laughs> and then uh, the last piece of news on a Square Enix front is that Triangle Strategy which did release on PC later in the year. Uh, and then the the Game of the Year discussion actually kind of reminded me how much I did really enjoy that game. Uh, has sold 1 million copies uh, total combined digital sales and physical shipments. So well done for Triangle Strategy. Kind of our most anticipated game of 2022 and maybe didn't quite reach as high as some of us maybe would have been expected. It was a really, really solid quality game. I still like it a lot. I I, I saw like uh, seeing my friend struggle through it because he's not really good at strategy RPGs, but he's playing through Triangle Strategy right now, and he was like stuck at that uh, mission where you where you could burn the houses down in House Wolford. And he was like, "Ah, how do I do this? I can't do it." I'm like, I believe in you. <laughs> no, that's one. That was one of the toughest missions because I think it's it's early on enough in the game where you don't quite have your like powerhouse team or your perfect strategy right. yet, so you're kind mm-hmm. of just flying flying blind in what the best strategies are and your characters probably aren't quite all configured. But, you know, right. that's a challenging game. Mm-hmm. And the last two uh, bits of news here are just kind of uh, ones from the uh, Game Awards and one is very recent as of just like the last week. Uh, so this was kind of a surprise from the Game Awards, but we have another online RPG being published by Amazon Games and that is Blue Protocol, which is uh, uh, being developed by Bandai Namco, and I know some people have been searching uh, and awaiting this game for a long time, because I believe it was originally announced like in 2018 or 2019, but the Blue Protocol, all their social channels went dark for a good while, until they started kicking up a lot, uh, some new interest in mid to late 2022. Yeah, they're like a a heavy development, pretty much, so they might like radio silent to focus on development and distribution, I imagine. I think after Lost Ark, I've just decided i do not want to play any mmos that uh are completely free to play mm-hmm. just yeah <laughs> so the amazon's kind of put itself in this in this weird place because they publish tell me if i have this wrong they they are developing and publishing new world then yes. they publish uh lost ark and now they're publishing yes. blue protocol and i know yes. that new world and lost ark have held on to some decent player numbers on steam so i think they're like they haven't been shouting it from the rooftops but even though i haven't been playing those games it seems like by all rights they've been a success i mean yeah, yeah. they've been able to retain i i i know like i'm more intimately familiar with like the, how they've handled lost ark and like they've they've mm-hmm. they've had a lot of issues like for, like in the first like five to six months of that partnership of like lighting up announced like you know when they're going to distribute content and like the amount of like free materials that they give to players to like kind of quote unquote catch up to the cur- current content update at the Korea. I think, I think they're, they're stabilizing the pipeline now to be like, I think they're like two to three months behind um, the lost art co- content updates in Korea. And I think they're going to maintain that. I think that's what they're aiming for. I don't know if they've reached it already or if that's how it is, but I, I they've stabilized that. I don't know, but the, the, the bad part about the, what's been happening uh 
on there, and as there's like a heavy botting problem in Lost Ark, from what I understand. That's been uh, a problem since launch, yeah. Yeah, and then like it's been driving up like the uh, the economy prices for like the the currency that you can buy for money, like that that the price of that fluctuates depending on the, like the state of the uh, player economy and the market there, and like those prices are way 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 more inflated in the West than they are in like in Korea. So that's all. So that's been like a, a major problem, from what I understand, uh, at least on the in the English version. So that's that doesn't really inspire confidence, uh, you know, for how Amazon is partnering with Bandai Namco for Blue Protocol. I don't know exactly how how that game is being monetized. Obviously, I haven't played it. Um, I don't. So I don't know exactly how that's gonna go. But you know, I really hope that it does. It's for the best because I I I have to imagine, like. The this is how it went down. Where like Bandai Namco probably had like um, plans to release this in the West on their own, but it'd be at a very very delayed rate, like maybe like next year or maybe like two years out from like the original Japanese version. But maybe Amazon probably stepped in and say, "Hey, partner with us, and we can get it to out with you with, uh, this year." Um, you know, so now, hopefully the translation's in a better state than Lost Arts was. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Yeah, so. Um, hopefully, you know, it works out. It's hard to say one way or the other how the how these things will go. But um, best of luck. I've I've tried it out, and hopefully, it's fun. I I, I guess I'll I'll keep a close eye on like what the Japanese response, is, like how how people are liking it there. But you know, like no. from my experience with Love with Lost Ark, you know, after playing two hundred plus hours of that and with the Amazon partnership, it's like. And being like more when I was still more well informed of like that partnership and like both those like the inner workings and like ah I don't know it could go one way or the other really it's very iffy. So after this trailer was shown at the Game Awards for Blue Protocol, I saw a lot of people immediately comparing it to Genshin Impact, and then immediately the feedback a lot of people saying no, it's nothing like Genshin Impact. Though I, as someone who has not played either game, I can easily see like the art style and the animation, the way that the trailer was framed, I can see why that comparison's made and apparently i haven't seen this myself but apparently like the publisher i don't know from amazon or bandai has made the comparison themselves when talking to other outlets so is it is it is it actually uh, a colleague to genshin impact i'm not sure as my understanding is that it's a different style of game but of course i think it's just an, I think it's an art style type of thing i i, I th- like i from the what i understand also, it's like a more it's more of a traditional mmo like it's not exactly like gotcha for characters or anything. also it makes sense for them to compare it to genshin impact because it's like that's the popular one and everyone yeah. exactly like, it's like Imp- yeah well i, I mean if, like, if, they're, if they're if they're trying to, if they're officially making the, like the, the 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 call out on their own i think that's fair game but like if you're gonna say that and on your own word, then like people are gonna take you at your word. You know, if you wanna if you wanna yeah. compare yourselves as a competitor to Genshin Impact, then you know, you know what you're signing up for as well. I'm I'm surprised that PSO2 uh, hasn't done that with New Genesis, because from what I can tell, that's much more of a valid comparison. But this that's one also Genesis, has right? the art style. Well, no, yeah. I mean like the fact that it's like an open zone type type thing. Open zone no, like Sonic Frontiers? Uh, you know what I meant. <laughs> New Genesis. It's been out for like two years now, right? Something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, it, it is yeah. now. It, it now has the amount of content that it should have had when it launched. Yeah, and even I was then, thinking of starting it soon because it's like now it has like four regions, is it? Yeah, and but even then, it's the game is like ninety percent combat, and all the questing is still really, really, really bad. So yeah, I still can't suggest it. Don't play it. Okay. All right. I'll take. I'll take your word. Um. 
Was there any other final thoughts on Blue Protocol? Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I don't know if I have the time for that sort of game anymore, but yeah, I, don't know, I do man. think it looks well, really... <laughs> I gave MMOs a shot last year. I mean, I, I got... I quote-unquote got through it, but I mean, I... Uh, the, mm-hmm. my, my lesson, the, the lesson I learned from it was like, I don't know if I have... If I can do it was a void. Anymore. <laughs> I can't. I can't do uh, the the cycle anymore. Hey, but think about it like this: I'm the I'm the one who quit the earliest out of my friends, and my, all my friends eventually quit it too. So, a lot of people I know basically quit that game. I just think uh, the people are still stay on. They're just a little high on sunk cost fallacy. So, well, I mean, hey, if, you, if they genuinely enjoy that type of game and are willing to do like you know the the maintenance on it, like. Okay, more power I, to them. I enjoyed uh, Lost Ark up until the moment it reminded me it was a Korean free to play MMO RPG. Yeah. <laughs> I already knew that going. I was like, all right, but this doesn't look like a Korean uh, free to play MMO. It's like, yep, here I am. <laughs> Specifically, the last... it was the uh, the um, like honing bullshit where it's like chance to fail. Yeah, it, it just uh-huh. really annoying because it's like RNG where it's like I might not progress at all this week, and that yeah. sucks. That's my experience with Ion, and that taught me to never touch a uh, Korean MO again. As much it's as okay, I it, that it's okay, James. They have pity. It's okay. Eventually, you'll be able to like get that guaranteed holding after, after like twenty fucking chances. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oh, I, guess, I guess you didn't have that in Ion. There was no pity. <laughs> the game just laughs at your face. You fucked up until you go do it all again. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's what I mean. Where it's like, if Lost Ark was a subscription MMO, I would still be playing it because the actual like gameplay really good. Yeah, they they made it more a subscription type model. I think it would really benefit. But you know, that doesn't make money compared to free to play. Yeah, I might try. Uh, um. What was it? New World eventually, because apparently with updates, people are really liking it now. Oh, really? It really stabilized. All right. And this is not really tied or related to any other any of the other stories on this list, but it just dropped a couple of days ago. Originally reported out by Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. Uh, this is about Wizards of the Coasts, which is Hasbro Studio. That is all things Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, over the last couple of years, uh, Wizards of the Coast had developed and kind of pushed a newly renewed focus on digital entertainment and video games. Uh, However, according to this Bloomberg report, it seems like as of 2023, they are quickly pulling back some of those ambitions. Um, This included a layoff of uh, over a dozen employees. They have canceled some projects at other side entertainment and hidden path entertainment these are dungeon and dragons uh video games that were not ever formally announced but it sounds like these projects are no longer underway um obviously we've got Baldur's gate 3 which is through early access already sold like million copies or something like that so that one seems safe and is underneath yeah that one seems safe and it's underneath larian who is you know they know what they're doing and they've had a ton of success but for those that really were hoping to see, I guess like the only thing that we really got out of this as of right now is that uh, Dark Alliance reboot from last year that came and went with a complete oh, whimper. Yeah. Oh god! <laughs> uh, the the weird thing about this is like the Hidden Path Twitter actually like, gave a pushback on like Shire's reporting, saying like, "Hey, we just want to let set the record straight, saying that like you know our D and D project with Wizards is still happening." That then. And then Jason replied back to that, saying that that's very unusual and unfortunate. But like he stands by the, his reporting um, that like you know the Wizards of the Coast 
spokesperson that they, he talked to. Um, I, yeah, I trust that, Trier's reporting, so it's very unfortunate that they just didn't know. That's messed up. Yeah, that, yeah that, he, that, he that, learned before it, the staff did. <laughs> so we don't we don't actually know. Like, Hidden Path is still still has not like released an official statement saying that it's been canceled. Like as far as they know, or like have, have they've communicated publicly last that they they, they still believe that their D and D game is still on. Um, so it's you know, Jason you know talked to the Wizards of the Coast spokesperson, and as far as they communicated with him that Hidden Path's D and D game is canceled. So we'll we'll see what like you know what the fallout of that is and what actually is the truth from that. But it's just such a weird, bad miscommunication if that if that their, their game is actually canceled and they didn't know until the the Bloomberg Bloomberg report. Yeah. So right now, where we stand is Bloomberg is saying that over five D and D products have been canceled. At least one of them, the one from Hidden Path, has pushed back, saying we haven't heard anything. Uh, Bloomberg standing by it, and that's where we stand. So like a lot of these, almost all of these projects, we can only glean what they were based on like hiring pages. Like, oh, apparently the Hidden Path game is a um, open world action RPG according to their like hiring page. But that's all we know because a lot of these haven't been announced. Uh, oh, AAA open world third person single player RPG being published by Wizards of the Coast, so likely D&D related. But we will obviously, if we learn one way or the other, we will follow up. But as of right now, it seems like they are trying to stick with something. They're making this decision out of perceived profitability. So my guess is, is that they did not make a return from their Dark Alliance game. And now they're, now they're getting cold feet. The only yeah, thing that I still remember about that really... game was it. Well, their their uh, their stock price on... has been like uh, has been tanked in the last year just for multiple. Not just that, but ventures. like outside of games, there's been like a whole thing with uh, like a, a, like a license thing with D and D where people are really pissed because they're clamping down entirely on like uh, derivative works, mm -hmm. and uh, so I so it's like it just seems like in general like Hasbro is like kind of. Uh, maybe it could. It, it, I'm sure like profitability is like a big part of it but i'm also pretty sure like i wouldn't be shocked if part of it is they also want to make sure that they like keep things in-house as much as possible going forward i just realized the hidden paths uh tweet where they say they're still working on it is actually a hiring recruit they say check out our jobs page we're hiring so i oh. I, I don't want to pick yeah. a side but like i hope i hope that they are right yeah, i, like, I want to say i'm pretty if, sure jason schreier <laughs> hopes he's wrong too yeah, you know? yeah. Like I don't, I don't hope anyone's wrong because I want someone to be right and someone to be wrong. I just don't want people to lose their jobs, <laughs> sort yeah. of thing. So, At least for uh, the internal staff, like one of the things they said was, "Yeah, we have we we ask these positions, but you can apply to other positions like immediately within the company." And so it's like, right? It, it's still not great, but it's like at least they're like, "Yeah, we're like direct, like you're you're going to be." I'm assuming at like the front of the list. Well, obviously, we'll follow up whenever we hear any more details about uh, the cancellation of projects, not only at Hidden Path, but, you know, apparently at four other projects have been canceled as well. Um, some of those we probably likely won't hear anything of, uh, but we'll we'll follow up if anything comes through um, either Hidden Path directly or from Bloomberg or, or otherwise. And that is not absolutely everything that came out in from the news standpoint over the last 
month and a half, but I think that hits all of the highlights. Obviously, we have some games that are coming out early in 2023 that had a few more look-ins late last year, early this year, like uh, Atomic Heart, uh, the first-person action RPG um, that's releasing early this year, I think got another trailer. Um, a few other uh, indie projects were announced. Um, as those news keeps filtering through early this year, we will... Uh, be a bit, be able to be a bit more comprehensive as we go back to our weekly format for this podcast. But obviously, it's good to uh, go back to normalcy and have the whole crew here again on our first podcast of the year to uh, get the ball rolling again. And for some of us, maybe you might be playing One Piece in a week or Fire Emblem in two weeks or maybe Forspoken in three weeks. So uh, there is no no stopping this train. I guess we're going in right into the deep end right away. Uh, if you still got to play Crisis Core or um tactics ogre or any of the other games that released last year that didn't get that you didn't get to uh it seems like you might have a, a week or two before things really start kicking off so uh good luck i know adam wants to really get to star ocean um good luck yep. you got yeah. it I, apparently i get to play the uh, baby version of star ocean. That's true. yeah oh yeah, it's baby. got updated i i still gotta play soul hackers with the sprint Hear this, Brian. Adam can now play Star Ocean. He can now scan while while running in that game. Jesus Christ! To, that's, that's, I hear that's to, like cheating. I yeah. need to re-download Monochrome Mobius because apparently they did a major patch. So it's like, oh, I wonder. Did they get NPC models? They they gave them faces. Holy shit! <laughs> wow, <laughs> huge. No, but uh, thank you all so much for listening. We uh. We hope you're happy that we're back because we're going to be back and going seemingly weekly uh, throughout 2023. Um, if you have not listened to our nearly seven hour game of the year podcast, it's up on all the podcast services. If you can look at our published list and wondering how we picked one game over another and any of the categories or for our main list, you can hear our whole deliberation because uh, we recorded it all for you. And you get to hear some voices uh, that you don't normally get to hear on the Tetracast. So that's always uh, really kind of fun. And I, even though it's always a long, grueling day, I'm glad that we did it. Take a listen to that. If you already have or have no interest, uh, Go ahead and leave some comments here. We have all the features that we called out on the site. You can leave comments there or on the reviews that all went up throughout the month of December. And we will start be starting to put some more features up on the site this week. You should see the Fire Emblem preview soon. And then I might be writing a Harvestella review, uh, potentially. Um, we'll see what we have time for in January before things get really busy. You can follow RPG site on all the social media channels. We're on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Join our Discord by kicking, clicking the link at the top of the homepage at rpgsite.net or by typing discord.gg slash rpgsite. And we will be back next week with another episode of the Tetracast as we go back into our normal schedule. So as always, uh, new year, but still same thank you for supporting us and listening to us for two to three hours every week. We appreciate it so much. Uh, and until next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you guys later. We are the most disloyal RPG site staff.